0: HRAA gains exposure to these asset classes by investing in derivative instruments that may include future contracts and forward agreements and securities. HRAA will take long or short positions, using up to a maximum of three times leverage in asset classes such as equity indices and fixed income asset classes, commodities, currencies, volatility indices, and other alternative asset classes. HRAA could provide balance to your portfolio by harnessing three unique investment styles. The first is an actively managed global risk parity portfolio to provide maximally diversified global exposure in optimal risk balance. The second is a proprietary systematic global macro process that attempts to profit from short-term market moves, going both long and short on more than 50 global markets. Finally, HRAA uses a dynamic tail protection overlay that attempts to profit from large moves in volatility markets. To learn more about this, please visit www.horizonsetfs.com HRAA to read about the ETF's investment objectives and important disclaimers about the risks associated with an investment in the ETF.
1: to Gestalt University, hosted by the team of Resolve Asset Management, where evidence inspires confidence. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in the mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everyone in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. Well, happy Friday, everybody.
2: Happy Friday. How's everyone? Welcome, guys. Hi, guys. Happy Hi, Friday. everyone.
3: So uh, it is Resolve Riffs Friday happy hour, where we have very wide ranging discussions on all kinds of topics. And none of this is financial advice. If you would like financial <laughs> advice, don't get it from these four scallywags drinking drinks on a Friday afternoon. Cheers, all. Cheers. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Greg. Cheers. And thank you, Richard, for joining me today.
2: <laughs>
4: thank you. Thanks, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, there we go.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cheers on the thing,
4: yeah. You guys had it all coordinated, <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh, in the middle, I didn't even see that. Look at that. Oh, okay, such yeah, oh, new, yeah,
5: okay, yeah. I got you now.
3: A new, okay. There we go. Now we got it. Look, look at it. I'm, I'm right. over it.
5: Yeah,
3: I'm over it. Oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, you're totally blown my for, for train of thought now. Um, why don't we do this? Why don't we have, uh, Greg Maggs, you guys introduce yourselves, give your background so that people have a great idea of uh, the expertise that we've got on the call today, and then we'll uh, dive in. We'll start with you, Greg. Why not? Sure.
5: Um, well, first of all, uh, thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, Mike uh, and I <clears throat> first met each other uh, probably close to 10 years ago. Um Actually, during the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, when I was working at a hedge fund in Toronto uh, with Griffiths McBurney Partners and uh, Jason Marks and Mike Weckerly. And uh, Mike and I were um, introduced from our chief uh, risk officer, Jason Marks, and his partner, Adam. And we were discussing all sorts of uh, credit implications of the financial crisis. I was impressed with the models you guys were building at the time. Um, I know you've developed a really, really cool business out of your uh, your expertise, which I view as being quite smart and very proprietary, obviously. But my history is this. Um, I've traded credit for 30 years. Uh, I started in 1988. So I guess more than that. 1988, uh, I graduated from uh, school in the US and I came back to work in Canada and I worked for Canada's largest financial institution, the Royal Bank. And I won't make a big story about this. You could ask me questions. But uh, in 1988, the Royal Bank was insolvent. Okay, full stop. Canada's largest financial institution had too many loans to lesser developed countries, chiefly uh, Latin America and Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady needed to solve this because it wasn't just Royal Bank of Canada and all the banks in Canada, with one exception. It was all the money center banks in New York, as well as... uh, European banks, because petrol dollars were flowing throughout the world, they needed to find a source of demand, and it turned out that they started lending to countries on a five-year basis. Lo and behold, they were not able to meet their uh, obligations because they were U.S. dollar-denominated o- obligations, and they defaulted. And those bonds that traded down—excuse me—that were issued, those loans that were issued at twenty-five cents—excuse me—at a dollar on the dollar were trading at twenty-five cents on the dollar. And Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady came up with a very ingenious plan to, uh, to solve that problem, basically switching a five-year term into a 30-year term, backed by zero-coupon U.S. Treasury securities, and therefore did not have to um, mark down to market the loans. Very simply, though, if they were a trading book, which I live and die by marking my book to market every night, the book value of equity of the Royal Bank of Canada would have been exhausted. But so would the Citigroups and Manihanis and all the other banks in the US. So, you know, we had a big problem and started me thinking, well, how is this possible? How do the banks maintain a high degree of confidence uh, from their depositors? And essentially, everyone knows it's because they're too big to fail. The banks will be bailed out by governments. So fast forward to 2008, 2009. That's exactly what happened. The banks were insolvent again. Full stop. The financial system almost came crashing down, Mike. You were involved in some huge trades, or I think you yep. guys were, if I remember correctly, oh, yeah. on asset-backed commercial paper, which uh, was the precursor Pre-calf. of the, fun- yep, <laughs> best trade in my life. Um, and it's Breaking not funny that it was, it, well, actually, that's true at the time, you know, but again, I said, this is crazy. You know, the system is so, it's built, it's, it, the pillars are built into sand. The sand is confidence in the system. When confidence in, in the system evaporates, everything comes crashing down really quickly. So 2008, 2009, worked at, uh. GMP Investment Management. Uh, that's after some experience on the sell side with Royal Bank, with TD Securities. Came over and worked with uh, a, fir- a one hedge fund, uh, merit Asset Management, high yield credit shop, uh, quite successful. And then went to uh, GMP. So I loved working with Mike Wackerly, who I view as being probably the best equity trader in Canada. And Mike looked at me and he goes, "Foster, equities are are, are bust. You cannot trade equities in a market when." Credit is melting. It's all about credit. Take my whole risk and whack through his risk, and rightly so at the credit guys. Meaning, just go short equity. Go short equity because until the credit markets fix themselves, equities are worth zero. I need everyone to understand that, okay? In a priority of claims process, unless the bonds of a company are worth a hundred cents on the dollar, the equity is worth zero. Okay. I need people to understand that again. Now, while the government of Canada and the U.S. don't have equity per se, all other rates in the world are set off of the U.S. Treasury curve, okay? So when the U.S. Treasury curve changes, it changes the discount rate of every other financial asset in the world. Do not try and trade equities when it's getting flung around by the credit default swap players who are rushing to the equity markets for protection, right? You can hedge your credit by shorting equities. And when equities are getting destroyed, where do you think everybody turns to hedge? The equity markets. So credit is the dog that wags the tail of equities. All these monkeys in the equity markets, oh, with this value, it's crazy. Fuck, boys. Excuse my language. If you don't understand the priority of claims process, you should not be in the financial markets. And most financial procrastinators, or if that's the word, procrastinators or procrastinators, whatever the word is, they don't get it. Okay? You listen to these Bloomberg fools. Oh, go out and buy some Hertz equity. You know, it looks like Hertz may recover. Buddy, the bonds are at $0.40 on the dollar. Do not be giving that type of financial advice to your listeners. Okay, 2020, here we are. Oh, no, uh, 2016. I'd retired from the hedge fund business. It was quite a great uh, trade with the asset-backed commercial paper. We bought paper at $0.20 on the dollar. It eventually went back to par. It was somewhat lucky, somewhat good uh, risk management. And Mike Wackerly was a stud, okay? He took all his risk and all his money, which is a lot, and said, Foster, go and trade credit. So 2016, I run into a guy by the name of Fred Pye, who's a Montrealer, just like myself. And he says, have you ever heard of Bitcoin? And I'm, yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. But, you know, I don't really know too much about it. Well, here, take a look at this one thing. And I said, what's that? He goes, tradeblock.com. Okay, what is that? This is the blockchain in action. This is Bitcoin trading around the world on a decentralized platform with no intermediary. What? This 24/7. actually exists 2016. No, I'm 24/7 like, 7 trading on the block. 24/7. Yeah. Disintermediation, trustless, which does not mean you don't trust it. It means you don't have to trust anybody else. It is what it is. Okay? I was an engineer at McGill and I said, Oh my God, this thing is real. 2016. He says, I have an idea. I want to bring a fund to Canada, Bitcoin. I'm like, buddy, I want to be part of that because everybody in the world needs exposure to Bitcoin. So Mags knows this. Mags was a partner at three IQ, but, um, uh, I, I funded Fred and his vision and, uh, after four long years and one really, really, really smart guy by the name of Sean Cumbie, we won a battle against the OSC to uh, to be able to launch a Bitcoin fund. It's QBTC, it trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It is absolutely a great instrument. And what has it done? Well, by my estimation, it's helped Canadians make about $500 million in gains on Bitcoin. Uh, that's a real number because we've probably raised or they've probably raised 500 million bucks and it's now worth a billion, okay? OSC be damned. They did the right thing. I know it was mm-hmm. tough. Regulators are, you know, regulators are regulators. They they try and do everything uh, to protect. It. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the OSC's job to protect investors against taking risks. It was to allow investors to actually hedge risks. And that's what Bitcoin is. So Canadians were first out of the block with a registered, exchange listed QBTC. It's fantastic. Megs was a huge uh, supporter and 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 key component of that. And uh, but again, it was Sean Cumby. It was all Sean Cumby because he went to yep. the OSC and he basically f- fought them with five thousand pages of disposition. And you know Sean very well, uh, Mike. Oh, yeah. This man is, this man is a stud. Okay. And he did this for Canada. So what does Canada have now? Canada now actually has an exchange traded fund that just surpassed a billion dollars after one month. Yeah. Yeah, We got like four now, don't we?
1: Well, We'll okay. But purpose is
5: good. You know, here, here's the thing. And and my time is up. I know that they're going to yank me off and that's it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Montreal. But here, here you go. Um, I know one thing. This is the best asymmetric trade I have ever seen in my life. And I've seen some pretty good ones. And I'll tell you a story about one, when I was explained a trade to Jason Marks. And as you remember, Jason, he's the, uh, he's a theorist, right? He's a Harvard MBA. And he, I I showed him this trade. He goes, it's impossible. You can't be doing this trade. I go like Jason, when markets dislocate, you can do some crazy stuff. And I want to talk about that trade. And he goes, He goes, you're doing it. Oh, my God. And he sees my Bloomberg screen. You're doing it. You're doing it. And I go, yes, I am doing it. How much can I do? And he goes, infinity. Okay, because you do find these trades that exist in dislocated markets. And we'll talk about that trade. And Jason, God love him, right? Like he's a Harvard MBA. These things can't possibly exist. Well, they do. All right. And you need to have exposure to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is default protection on a basket of sovereign credits. Full stop. Doesn't mean those credits have to default. It just means they are going to get more risky as our debt balances explode. It's only math. That's my uh, my pitch. I
3: love it. I love the introduction. And uh, yeah, I think um, I
5: think we'll turn it over
3: to you, Mags. Let's let's hear your story.
4: Sure, I'll try to be briefer. <laughs>
3: You don't have to be if it's that's if it's that, that, that spellbinding and interesting. go, go a pretty pray. low bar. It's like a pretty drinking, low bar, man. You know,
4: From a hose, <laughs> <laughs> and I have experience because I am a volunteer firefighter, so I've seen how much mm. water comes out of that hose. <laughs> nice, but so um, so, so uh, for myself, I have a decade of experience in highly regulated markets, um, electricity and carbon markets. Uh, prior to myself joining the. Bitcoin and digital asset space in 2017, which is now very highly regulated financial markets. um, I spent um, a large focus of that was working with multinational companies and really trying to figure out how to attract them to make um, investments in Canada as well as, you know, create jobs as typical as is typical, you know, when you're in government. Um, But I think I kind of bring a a unique perspective now where I can apply some of that electricity and carbon knowledge, especially to some of the uh, criticisms that we've been seeing uh, when it comes to Bitcoin recently, especially when, for example, Elon Musk uh, joined and joined in the party, even though he's late uh, and and bought Bitcoin. And so. more recently, though, I've been involved in. Um, well, I helped launch 3AQ's fund. I was part of the initial public uh, offering. Uh, that was an awesome experience, just to see you know um, that connection between legacy financial markets and. Bitcoin. Uh, But I've also, you know, seen the negatives. Um, I represent all effective users of Quadriga. I've been appointed by the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia to represent all users and also oversee the bankruptcy Um, or or, sorry, EY manages the bankruptcy, but I help kind of inform and and, um, EY in terms of their decisions as a bankruptcy inspector. And so seeing products like an ETF, like some of the closed end funds trading in Canada, I think they're great news stories in terms of uh, protecting consumers. And, um, you know, because we've had, and especially it makes Canada, it kind of brings us up to the limelight in a good way, especially after seeing, you know, over $200 million at that time, that was lost, but it's approaching $2 billion worth how much um, got lost in Puerto So I think, more options are great, more, you know, and we're seeing fees fall. So uh, when it comes to these financial products, I think it's overall a good thing. Um, and I'm also involved in some nonprofit um, work, uh, which actually ties into NFTs, because I know that's a hot thing. <laughs> but that that we're actually been working um, to for the last three years before NFTs were cool to put global carbon accounts um, and the Paris climate change Agreement on the blockchain, and we've received some government funding, banking from legacy financial institutions, and this is totally nonprofit just through a charity-based uh, platform. Um, so those are some some of the things that I'm that I've been dabbling in. Oh, and also Bitcoin mining, obviously, because it is a a natural intersection.
3: Well, especially with your your experience in the electricity markets and carbon markets, it seems that you've got the almost the perfect background to <laughs> yeah. to sort of enlighten um individuals on what the energy consumption really means for uh bitcoin for the mining and and I know um Greg you've got some relationships there obviously with Validus power about how you're turning carbon products into what is you know, uh, actually, powerful, transportable methods of accounting, and taking that, um, and and that's a very valuable output that we're getting from you know these these electrons that we're finding and using. And I think it's a bit of a red herring to say, oh, you know, we're we're using all the the same electricity as uh, Argentina or something like that. So so can we start there? Can we start there, Megs? Can you can you? Um, Just walk us down, you know, here's what we're hearing and here's why it's right, wrong and different.
4: A lot of things. One of them is Bitcoin is boiling the ocean. Uh, It's going to use all the world's energy as, you know, more and more miners join up. Um, Huge carbon impacts. Those are the types of stories that people are grabbing onto Um, And I do think it's a bit disingenuous because if you actually look at what Bitcoin is disrupting, it's the legacy financial system um, for countries like the U.S., part of what gives the U S dollar its strength is the military system around it. Um, There's, you know, there's different layers of Bitcoin that are used for different things like store of value, which is typically, you know, the main Bitcoin blockchain. But then if you look at second layer scaling solutions, like the lightning network, which are becoming um, used for remittances and instantaneous peer to peer settlement um, at low costs, um, you know, less than one Satoshi uh, per uh, per transaction that's like 0. 0.0001 cents it's very cheap and so we are you know we're disrupting intermediaries we're disrupting sectors like the gold you know gold mining and moving gold around uh we're disrupting fedwire um payments like visa and mastercard so you can't just say oh well you know, Bitcoin consumes as much as Argentina or whichever country we're at at the moment. um, It's what it is disrupting. And that's maybe partly the military base, partly the banking system, partly remittances. There's so many different pieces that Bitcoin does. And in a trustless, decentralized, you know, unseizable way.
3: Spectacular. And then you've got what I'm hearing is there's opportunities to capture what our waste carbons whether that be uh, I know Craig you your 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 business is heavily involved in that and then and then we're also seeing sort of these inverse relationships where the mining of Bitcoin is actually setting up power supplies for communities that were underserved previously maybe you can talk about some of those items as well either one of
5: you I'll, I'll, I'll grab that yeah. uh, but before I do excellent uh, excellent uh, discussion mags. Um, You know, one thing, you know, think about how much uh, power the U.S. Navy spends (laughs) defending the reserve currency of the world, okay? Like, let's just talk about, you know, tit for tat. Uh, I'm not saying either one is wrong. I'll just say, you know, the entire global banking system, do you think that perhaps uses some power as well? So there's a couple of neat stats. I like to say that Bitcoin does not waste energy. Bitcoin consumes energy waste. And people who don't understand the power grid and the various levels of uh, stability that are required in the power grid really don't appreciate what Bitcoin can add. First of all, our grid is built for what's called peak demand. And in that peak demand, you are typically way overpowered or there's too much energy in the system for 90 X percent of the time. It's just when there's a... Uh, storm like there was in texas a crazy storm or there's mid mid-summer air conditioning demand and all that that you get uh, peak power and the grid is set up to uh to 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 function at that peak demand but most times and this you can see this on your power bill uh most times in off peak hours energy is actually in surplus now if you go to the uh the concept that uh uh Bitcoin consumes energy waste. Let's just think about the the energy that's being produced. Ninety percent of the time on the grid that isn't being used. Generators are being fired, uh, waterfalls and 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 generators in hydro dams are turning, but that energy isn't being consumed. It's there to be used, but there just isn't the demand. So if we're running a and Bitcoin, the sun ride, is shining
4: every day and we do not well, let's use not even go there let's demand. not even go there
5: i don't want to get <laughs> the renewables yet because renewables in themselves could be uh looked at in a different engineering concept but first of all so so think about uh, uh bitcoin and bitcoin miners most miners are actually set up so that they have power contracts that can be interrupted at any time meaning if there is peak demand from the local grid uh you know the off takers that aren't bitcoin miners they just turn the switch off to the bitcoin miners and they use the power elsewhere so you mentioned Validus Power. Yeah, I'm a proud shareholder of this company that I think is going to revolutionize the power market in Canada, uh, not just for Bitcoin, but for p- perhaps indigenous communities, perhaps even Bitcoin. Mining being done at gold miners. Okay, think about that for a second. Gold miners actually have surplus power most of the time because they're set up to heat their mines in the winter or they have surplus power for other reasons. Hey, think of taking that generator and actually running Bitcoin mining. Not only do you hedge your own business, which by the way may be going down the tube because you're holding a 5,000 year old or you're mining for a 5,000 year old commodity that's being replaced. Or displaced by Bitcoin, um, but how about an indigenous community where you're using diesel fuels and uh, you know you're not properly using the uh, the exhaust of those diesel fuels to uh, to uh, perhaps heat a, a greenhouse, for example? So, validus Power, we are purposely involved in using flare gas to mine Bitcoin. And what is flare gas? Flare gas is a byproduct of oil drilling, primarily in the uh, in the fracking regions of the Bakken and uh, the Permian Basin. And what could happen then is you can wheel in, and it's a beautiful engineering feat. We've tested it for four years in the field. You wheel in a 35 megawatt. Now, these are big power numbers, okay? 35 megawatt jet engine, essentially on the back of a trailer, 18-wheel trailer. You wheel it in, you hook it up to a natural gas flare that's otherwise just being burnt into the into the into the atmosphere. Now what what is a flare? Well flare is methane. Methane is cow farts, okay? So you have cow farts that otherwise can be burning the ozone if you don't burn it. Okay? They burn it and when they burn it though, they create heat and they create carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide turns into sometimes acid rain it certainly destroys the environment so what if you take that energy source that's being wasted let's agree that that's being wasted they're flaring it into the into the uh, atmosphere and all of a sudden you're mining bitcoin that's pretty exciting and then you say how about if it's also connected to the grid so if in texas you get this unbelievable storm that knocks out 90% of the power in texas But you can connect back to the grid and provide peaking power to the grid. Don't mine. You just flip the switch and you send it to a substation and it goes back onto the grid. Bitcoin mining can actually help stabilize the grid. It's a thing of beauty. Now, I wanted to say one thing more about this renewable energy thing. Okay. I love windmills. Windmills don't work. Okay. It takes 260 tons of steel to build a windmill. If you put that windmill in the most ideal wind location in the world, it will take three years for you to produce the amount of power back that it took to produce the steel and the energy to produce the steel using fossil fuels to, uh, to pay back that windmill. That's in the ideal location where the wind has to blow, say, 12 knots consistently. Guess what? There's not that many ideal locations for windmills in the world. This could be the biggest red herring out there. I'm not saying I don't want them to work. I'm just saying call it like it is, ladies and gentlemen. Do you think solar panels are built without fossil fuels? I mean, this stuff is just so ESG. Like I went to school and I studied ESG and therefore we're going to do it this way. Guys, do some engineering before Mm -hmm. you do ESG. I'm not knocking it. I want this to succeed. Yes. Cleaning the environment's a priority, but don't invoke silly regulations based on nothing but subjective feel. Do some engineering, understand the components that go into this. So full circle, I don't want to start talking and and diss anything on the green uh, energy projects, but you got to remember everything starts with energy. That comes from the ground most likely or comes from the sky if it comes from the sun you got to make something that works and right now solar energy does not compete with fossil fuels you know that at every solar energy farm there's a, a generator in the background that stabilizes this that stabilizes the sun coming down because they can't have loads going like this from the sun yeah. oh my god the clouds yeah. the clouds just came over so yeah, what are they a- running in the background yeah. It's an always-on phenomenon, right? This so, one, so that's the one nice that's thing. All I nuclear. Want to say. Yeah. Okay. Or, well, hey, look. N- n- nuclear it how could be. Saying, is it saying? could be. It could be. So so that's all I'm saying, guys. This is um this is about engineering. It all starts with engineering and the first law of therm- thermodynamics, as Michael Saylor pointed out.
3: Hmm.
5: There's so much value in actually going into the numbers and understanding how things are created. I will say this: human productivity is always related to using energy the most efficient ways possible. And that's a fact. Think of it from day one when man discovered fire, right? It starts from there and then internal combustion engine and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. This is good. It's about engineering. Don't believe the uh, journalists that go out and say that Bitcoin's boiling the oceans. That could not be farther from the truth.
4: Well, actually, it is boiling the ocean. But yeah,
5: to make, to make salt.
4: Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a, one of my favorite projects in Canada is uh, one by Mint Green. It's on the West Coast. They've partnered with an artisanal sea salt company, Um, so they're going to be, they're currently building it out, Um, they're going to be taking the heat from the miners, recycling that heat, and boiling the ocean to make sea salt, they've also partnered with a distillery, a whiskey distillery, and same type of um, situation, where they're going to be recycling the heat, and heating the whiskey mash, so um, it, it goes back to exactly what Greg says, so you know, Mining is a cutthroat business, especially during um, bear markets. Uh, and carbon is a cost. Uh, if you're using, uh, you know, coal or or um, or methane, a natural gas uh, directly, then you might have to face a carbon tax at some point. If you're doing things like flaring, where you're actually helping the industry offset, um, you know you're taking methane, which is a more potent greenhouse gas, converting it to CO2, then you're actually, you know, potentially helping. And definitely, you know, what what we've seen is this trend towards both decentralized grids, but also um, grids that are more modern, and cleaner, and part of that is, you know, adding this renewable infrastructure. But it isn't necessary. You know, it's it, it's a very big shift, just like the legacy system is being disintermediated. You know, we're used to building our grids to have, for example, a giant coal plant or a nuclear plant, and now, you know, it, it's it's shifting. So I think we have to start thinking about what types of energy loads. Or what types of um, generators are being added, and how that ecosystem uh, works out. So I, I love to hear the stories where the miners are actually helping with demand response, and there's a limit up to which that can happen because um, typically jurisdictions, for example, in Texas, there's a there's a cap on how much of that is available to to take advantage of. But um, but but seeing kind of that integration, or seeing situations like um, heat recovery. That is being used to provide district heating, or um, there's there's pilots being done in Europe, for example. Genesis is setting up next to a greenhouse, and um, cold climates, you know, <laughs> it, it makes sense uh, to to do that. And 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 coming from a public policy background too, um, you know, one thing that governments really look for is like there's there's different issues at play. So for example, as Greg mentioned, you know. Uh, if we think about our First Nations communities, a lot of times maybe they're up north, they're using diesel, maybe they're not transmission connected. Diesel is environmentally not very friendly. And a lot of times, you know, these these kind of communities might be in a food scarce area where you don't have access to fresh, fresh fruits and veggies. So there's definitely some kind of industrial synergies that we could see, um, uh, you know, happening. And and it all comes down to cost, you know, and and in cases where the government is providing massive subsidies um, to use diesel up north, and actually, you know, contributing to the you know, to sending diesel because it's still cheaper than building out transmission distributions lines out there, that, you know, there might be better. Uh, Uh, ways to kind of generate that kind of societal benefit. And and I know it sounds, you know, at a high level, very beneficial, but we are starting to see, you know, some of these projects and and pilots take place to see if there's an economic incentive. And as the mining industry does get more cutthroat down the road, because, you know, every four years, uh, Bitcoin um, supply cuts in half you might have to start to look at some of these creative ways to offset your energy costs like mint green, which is actually selling the heat. So, you know, it's offtake agreements, um, or you're trying to figure out better ways to kind of reuse that energy or to use different types of ways. So whether that's tires that can, um, you know, not burned the old fashioned dirty way but but better ways where you're creating synthetic gas um and and you're actually getting paid to accept the waste or you're taking waste paper biomass that has been contaminated um that you're burning to generate heat there's there's all sorts of cool things happening uh farms you know as as we start to generate um sorry get carbon policies in place you know p- offset policies come come about or or farming for example you can't just you know release manure or um into the air you have to add on an anaerobic digester well that's generating methane gas that could then be reused to to burn um at a certain site so i think you know any industry whether it's the um because I used to work with heavy industrials whether it's cement plants or steel plants and these are when it comes to a single industry that has the largest carbon impact it is steel Uh, And next is cement as a single industry, right? Um, Because they're using coal and coke. And so they are looking at alternatives for themselves because they see long-term, you know, where things are headed, whether it's policy-wise or from a cost perspective. And if they can use um, waste uh, to, you know, subsidize that process or to reduce their carbon impact, they are looking at it because they're thinking longer term down the line. You know, a miner that just comes in right now um, because it's very profitable because prices have come so out of whack compared to what the cost of production is they if unless they're they're thinking about it strategically and long term they're not going to stay in business very long, so you you have to have that long term take too
3: yeah you've got to be ready for the bear market in order to maintain production i mean it, it is uncanny how okay. similar the bitcoin mining industry is to any other mining industry it's It's mining mining. Mm -hmm. it is
5: crazy how how (laughs) that is mags this is interesting mike sorry to jump on top of you but this listen um you know everyone says how cheap it is to mine so your number one cost obviously is your electricity your input cost in mining um do you not think that in texas for example there's going to be some uh, immediate taxation on bitcoin miners right now because of what happened do you not think that quebec Hydro Quebec is contemplating a tax on bitcoin mining because bitcoin when they signed these deals was trading at I don't know 10,000 bucks US a coin. This is coming. You need to be self-generation in mining. You should not be on the grid. You should be a, you should be able to provide peaking power to the grid in jurisdictions that will allow that or and you brought up these indigenous communities mags. You know how much it costs to wire in a transmission line. Uh, 100 miles, 200, you know, easily $250 million for 100 miles of transmission line through some very, you know, environmentally sensitive places. Uh, trucking diesel fuel on uh, on frozen uh, tundra roads uh, it, it, when it's frozen sounds sort of non environmentally friendly either. But think about this. These communities, a lot of these indigenous communities, they they number the number of people are like measured by the tens, right? One hundred and eighty-two. These aren't eighteen thousand, excuse me, communities. These are one hundred and eighty-two, three hundred in this, and their their costs of electricity electricity per kilowatt hour, where it's nineteen to twenty-two cents in in Ontario, it's about a buck twenty or higher. In these indigenous communities, all in costs, you you will be able to. Sorry, go ahead.
4: No, and and the the issue is so when you're building out infrastructure, it's expensive and it gets allocated across the entire rate base, whether that's residential or industrial. So as a business, We're
5: paying for it all the time.
4: As a business, you know, um, one of the biggest concerns I heard about, you know, companies that are there and want to continue operating in Canada, or moving to or, or wanting to move to canada is the electricity cost and if the more infrastructure upgrades um ha- that happen it the industry will feel it in their electricity bill and uh, i'm not sure about targeting specifically with a tax um in terms of miners, because I have, I think it all comes down to political. Whether the public thinks it's a bigger negative than not, because I have heard that it was actually helping the grid uh, in some cases, and whether that story makes it to the politicians is one thing. But what I do expect to see is they will need to make massive upgrades to both their natural gas and electricity infrastructure, and that will be spread across the right base. So, their long term, as these get built out, just like what happened in Ontario, you know, our electricity. Uh, prices have gone up and part of that was because of long overdue upgrades plus you know some renewables but the bulk actually came from making sure that we have reliable power in a modern grid so I'm I'm sure that'll happen longer term there too
3: and there is there is the taxation on the profitability right I mean if you're profitable you are getting taxed and that income will be taxed so the government's going to take their share uh any last thoughts on this, Richard? Because we got so much more exciting yeah. fun stuff to talk about. I was too. just gonna
2: ask them. I mean, it sounds like uh you guys are making a, a solid case for uh an energy uh revolution that is being sort of sparked or 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 that the, the Bitcoin space is uh, serving as a catalyst to promote better usage, optimization of existing uh energy sources, and perhaps even uh new research into new uh, sources of energy. But I wonder if you guys I have heard comment... about
4: folks looking into fission and fusion. And I mean, longer term, like, I think miners are going to become banks in their own right. And if they're holding on to Bitcoin, like, they will be serious players that if they, um, you know, some of these industries, for example, steel, they band together for longer term research. They pool resources together, um, you know, because they see, you know, how can we do this more cheaply? And that's something that perhaps miners would be willing to collaborate on, but maybe not because it's a competitive after oh, all. Oh, no, the OPEC
2: the OPEC, <laughs> it will the OPEC bit. of Bitcoin. About, it will, yeah. Just to close the loop on the question,
4: sure. I was just kind of get
2: trying to ask, uh, does it make sense uh, as the, the, the technology evolves and, and people are now talking about proof of stake as opposed to proof of work? Is that something that might impact Bitcoin as the the technology evolves? Perhaps not on the in this first uh, uh, moment, but as things evolve, would would this be something that could affect the 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 way uh, these new blocks are hashed, and 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 how might that impact this whole energy conversation?
4: Um, I think it, it comes down. So, for I'll, I'll start, and I'm sure Grid has tons to throw in. So I. Proof of work, which is what Bitcoin does. Um, part of the reason that people feel it's a store of value um, fundamentally is they they there is a tremendous amount of energy currently being expended to secure the network, and you you would have to have significant amounts of money um, to be able to put an attack onto Bitcoin, but also you know buy the chips, uh, secure uh, power. Um, it's just it's an undertaking that is. Highly, highly unlikely, and that is why you know companies are putting Bitcoin in their treasuries. Why billionaires are looking towards this as an asset class. Why insurance companies like Mass Mutual, which are some of the most conservative industries, um, are looking to put Bitcoin as an, as uh, into their uh, portfolio because of the security that it provides. Um, there are other certainly. Um, Uh, uh, blockchains like Ethereum that we know, you know, the the most popular one, which some people think of it's more like a VC play and it's an application layer. But um, first of all, it does use some energy. There's still uh, even once it moves from proof of work to proof of stake, there still will be, you know, data uh, centers that are making sure that that system works, and people will be plugged in. So it's not like it's a zero energy type of situation. Um, but but it's a lower. different type yeah. of system that's in place that I don't think, um, you know, many of these uh, stake stakeholders, I would call them now, you know, the, the Elon Musk's, the MicroStrategy, um, you know that. Uh, I don't think it provides the same kind of security layer that they think.
5: So Uh, that's a great explanation. And I'm not even going to add on that. I'm, you know, fully endorse that. Uh, Richard, a great question. Okay. Let's, let's start with what um, money is. Okay. And money has always been a technology for transferring your work or time or energy expended today for consumption in the future. Okay. Like think of yourself as a young college kid and you're up on a hot summer roof, uh, pounding in asphalt, uh, tiles, and you made $20 that day, right? Lower in, you know, a couple of years ago, 20 bucks. And I want to use that 20 bucks in the future. You know, I haven't needed to use it now, but let's say when I'm 70, I need to use that 20 bucks. We all know that the Fiat system debases money. Um, and that $20 is certainly less far worth, far less than 20 bucks. But if you go by the principles of conservation of energy, that money is a technology, then it makes sense that money is stored as energy. Okay. And Bitcoin is exactly that. In 1921, in fact, Henry Ford of the Ford family said, the world needs an energy currency to stop global wars. If you you look it up, it was printed in the uh, New York Tribune in 1921. Okay. So the man foresaw that the first principle of thermodynamics applies an energy currency, again, to transfer the value of your work, time, or energy expended today for use in the future. I believe that everything that mag said in proof of work. Okay. It is nothing more than engineering and the first law of thermodynamics, Bitcoin being digital energy. And essentially we'll talk about this. I think that all energy will eventually be priced in Bitcoin, not in us dollars, actually energy priced in Bitcoin. And when that happens, it will be the de facto reserve asset of the world. But let's not go there right now. I'll just say, look at the grid in Ontario, for example. So hydro one is absolutely at capacity. You cannot in Leamington, Ontario, where we have massive greenhouses growing cucumbers for all of Walmart in Southern Ontario, they have massive greenhouses that cannot get power from hydro one grid because it's at capacity.
4: Did so, you know historically the greenhouses were using coal as their primary fuel and natural okay. gas too? So <laughs> I
5: uh, well, certainly, so this is where Validus comes in with the natural gas turbines, et cetera. You can, you know, heat the greenhouses in the winter and then flip the switch and mine Bitcoin in the summer. Or, or use the, the exhaust from the greenhouse from the Bitcoin miner to heat the greenhouse. So, so many cool applications, but the reality is our grid is at capacity. So you can talk about uh, inviting countries or excuse me, companies to come to Ontario because of the power. Hey guys, we're, we're done. We're, we're at max. Yes. We'll get you the power says hydro one, just have to wait five years. So, so there's applications that, that, will, reco- you know, that will allow. Imagine a, a tomato guy or a cucumber guy in Leamington that, uh, that says, yeah, I'm, a, and I'm also a Bitcoin miner. I don't know. That's sort of a cool cool hedge. This doesn't address your proof of stake versus proof, proof of work, which I think Mags answered 100%. I'm not going to go anymore there. I'll just say, remember what work is. It's energy. And what is Bitcoin? it's digital energy okay one for the other you take valuable energy out of the ground you create digital energy and mags talked about this and then you build a banking system on top of it because miners yeah. will become the banks well, of the m- bank.
3: money should be somewhat hard to come by and that helps preserve the purchasing power over time if you can just pull it out of the air as we have been doing over the last year and saying well here's some for you and here's some for you and oh there's some here here you go well, that has all kinds of implications for other asset prices for the price of money itself and and the 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 lack of inflation I don't think is a clear representation of the debasement that's going on probably what's a what's a more relative example of the debasement is the uh bubble in asset prices that keeps moving around you know hard assets like real estate through the roof et cetera oh there's no inflation well there's asset price inflation going on in a number of areas so you know, anyway that that's um I, just a continuation of that point but richard do we we cover that you got you've got a follow up or you want to yeah I, th- I wanna... think that
2: makes sense I mean the the whole conversation about fiat debasement and why uh Bitcoin and other crypto assets and hard assets and anything that's scarce has uh, has got such a huge bid on I think we're all all four of us on this car in violent agreement so I don't think that that's something that we'll will dig too deeply on it. But I, I did want to pull on a thread that Greg raised there just quickly. Uh, I mean, if Ontario is at capacity when it comes to energy generation, wouldn't that put the province at a disadvantage when it comes to mining? Because, I mean, if we are uh, we have a trade-off between food security and uh, Bitcoin mining, I mean, unless we're going to get some kind of- Enter validus.
5: Uh, Enter validus. Yeah. We're, you know, <laughs> come on. Um, no, but seriously, but we're not just focused on, we're not going to be focused that much on- uh, on uh, uh so bitcoin mining using uh wasted energy that's flare gas but imagine uh we have these turbines that uh, you can hook into the uh, trans canada mainline all right you can get your you can get your natural gas from the trans canada mainline and then you can power these generators on a mobile mobile basis and you can you can heat or you can provide the power to the and the growth to the uh to the, Infrastructure in Leamington, Ontario. Interesting side note, I don't know if you guys know this, but you know that Leamington, Ontario, and Point Pelee, uh, Ontario, where Leamington is, you know that's further south than the Northern California border, right? I mean, yep. this is just really cool stuff that, you know, a lot of people don't understand that Canada has a really you know, you can do Bitcoin mining in, in, in Northern Alberta where the temperatures are actually perfect. Okay. It's not West Texas. It's, it's, it's beautiful. The efficiencies of the turbines in Northern Alberta are like, it's a thing of beauty. Oh, and you know, otherwise this gas would not be being used. Okay. You can create economic growth with this. So your, your point is, you know, I'm not Bitcoin mining will go where energy is cheapest and where wasted energy Is abundant. So you're not likely to do it in Southern Ontario unless you're Leamington that purchases a Bitcoin, excuse me, a turbine engine. But in the summer, you don't need the turbine engine to heat your greenhouse. So you say, hey, guess what? I'm going to create a revenue stream with Bitcoin mining and secure the world's most powerful computer network at the same time. The the miners are working in, in, um, you know, they're picking
3: low cost power areas that have, you know, sort of fundamental tilts to cool areas. You've got Quebec, you've got Alberta, and then you do have this big rush in Texas, um, which is, I think it's a bit strange with the liquid cooled guys, but um, whatever. I mean, Iceland and Sweden have lots too.
4: (laughs) But to to close off on that kind of capacity issue, it's not necessarily too that it's, there's no capacity available. Sometimes it's a factor of, do you have the lines, like the transmission lines, to take that capacity? So I can have maybe a giant load here, but and I don't have enough energy. In another area, I have massive amounts of wind turbines, but I can't get that, that connection to the place that needs it. So sometimes it's moving the miners where energy is cheap, where energy is plentiful and being unused, or where energy is being wasted. And, oh, you know, it all comes down to economics. You right? know, you can't
5: you, yeah. you know, you can't transmit uh, energy over transmission lines much farther than 500 miles. Right. I mean, yeah. the loss it, is too great. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, again, yeah. it's engineering,
3: right? wasn't so- it Poland that that located a bunch of miners around the nuclear plant? So they had a uh, nuclear power generation plant and um, located a bunch of miners because it was just running at very low portions of the capacity where they were. Unable to use the electrons, and well, voila! Now you can turn them into. So something I'm not sure. I'm,
4: I know
5: the name Foss isn't Polish, but I'm going to. Turn I think it, it was Ukraine, Polish but okay. is it
4: Ukraine, um, Ukraine, Ukraine. It's Ukraine. 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 I'm actually yes. Polish, so yeah, I was like, why not? Yeah, know? Think you, <laughs>
2: I think you a <laughs> hornet this there, Mike. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. so I, I guess just to put a, uh, a, a bow on this, uh, the the thesis is idle energy supply, and then the geographical arbitrage that is available. For the use cases when you have all this energy is just sitting idly there, that can be used in a more efficient way. So we're optimizing for this this uh, energy use. Uh, okay, makes sense, uh, Mike. I think well, let's you talk about you... some more fun stuff. No, let's, you
3: you hit it. You got you got some topics there. You wanted to talk about some. I know you want to get into global macro, which Greg will jump all over in that this sort of thing and yeah. then NFTs. What do you want to do?
4: You, you oh, can't I, separate get... macro from Bitcoin these days. Yeah. No,
3: you can. <laughs> On, I'll, leave Richard, the global you, you macro,
0: I'll
2: leave the global macro stuff for the end because I do have a couple of uh, uh, questions nice. that that uh, Greg and Mags might qu- qualify as FUD, but there are kind of s- s- some concerns that I have a- a- as I'm jumping into the space. But I-, I wonder if you guys might talk a little bit about an- NFTs and obviously that's become sort of this buzzword right now. But I I was listening to a couple of podcasts on the theme and it seemed like a really interesting use case for disintermediation when it comes to access for royalties and when it comes to fractional ownership and things like that. So uh, I, I just thought that was an interesting uh, topic to touch upon if you guys are, are keen on.
4: Do you want me to start off, Greg? Is that okay? Okay. So NFTs are non-fungible tokens. And at a high level, it's it's a different way of, having data tra- of providing data transfer. So just like you have a GIF, you have a JPEG, Um, Now, the current way is NFTs. But what makes it kind of more unique is that, um, you know, yes, they're being put on the blockchain. And sometimes everyone's like, oh, everything's on the blockchain. But it does kind of and, and we're really early stages. So, you know, there's people are playing around on different types of blockchains. And I do think Uh, You know, to Greg's point, eventually, you know, you want to be on the most secure, uh, powerful blockchain there is. But that said, I'm seeing some really cool things happen in terms of, for example, you have, you can start to code in certain information, maybe down the road, it's, you know, we're, we're seeing music artists, for example, Issue NFTs of their songs, but down the road, perhaps there are pieces uh, royalties that are being added in. Um, we've been working for the last three years on NFTs um, and carbon, so so you can code in very specific data onto a specific NFT. For example, where is this project based? Um, you know what what is the type of offset it offers? Um, you know geographic information to that specific site. So it's really interesting how you can code this in. You know, the world has moved from analog to digital, and this is kind of the next iteration. So it doesn't have, you know, I think the ones that have made the most um, mainstream media impact is digital art and collection. And that's, you know, to your point about um, asset prices increasing, digital collectibles, sorry, collectibles in. Period. Whether that's regular art, baseball cards, um, you know, cars, rare wines, everything is going up, right? And when it, so digital collectibles is kind of that next iteration where you're joining different types of you know assets in the digital world and non digital world. And I'm seeing you know experimentation that's really cool. We're down, the, you know, DeFi, so decentralized finance has you know alongside you know, the Bitcoin, what's happened in Bitcoin, which is hard enough to kind of keep track, whether it's, you know, Bitcoin main chain, whether it's institutional involvement or, or um, you know, the Lightning Network. But there, you know, there's so much happening on decentralized finance, and some of it will be shifting towards Bitcoin, whether it's loans, collateralized loans, uh, lending, borrowing, you know, that's happening too. But I think it's it's interesting because some folks are going to start to play around with collateralizing digital art. Um, And so I think, you know, When it comes to NFTs, we are just starting to see that potential and people are starting to play around with what are the options and it doesn't just have to be collectibles, it can be music, it can be, you know, something as simple as buying a ticket to a game uh, or a parking ticket, you know, the But there's definitely, like, we can start to get into a more fulsome conversation of pros and cons and, 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 you know, what happens if I put a house title on and somebody steals it, right? There's, there's definitely challenges. It's so early stage, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm loving how, people are finally realizing maybe more so that we live in the digital world. And just like COVID accelerated where money is and, you know, central banks are starting to issue central bank digital currencies and playing around with pirates pilots and our money <laughs> pirates <laughs> uh, and our money has shifted to digital and people are starting to recognize more. So, you know, like I, like, what is money? It's just you know numbers in a bank account, right? And why can't why can't I settle within seconds with you, Greg? And maybe you're in China at the moment. Um, you know, I think everything is 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 changing.
2: So it sounds like there's the these NFTs are imbued with uh, smart contract characteristics. Is
4: yeah. Really- so so one of the big reasons why so far they've been issued on platforms like Ethereum is that people want to code um, you know, code instructions in or certain information where it's a lot harder, um, or it, the infrastructure has been, um, built on a lot more, a lot longer on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and it's so, so, you know, when it comes to collectibles and art, for example, you know, and, and who owns something. So you're, you're actually, so one of the key pieces I should have mentioned is provenance. So I am the, um, if I'm the artist, you know that it came, it was issued by me, it came from my wallet. And yes, people laugh about, oh, I have a screenshot of this. Ha ha. But I mean, if you look at the Mona Lisa, there's only one and it's in, you know, it's in a specific location. So even though I have a copy and I took a picture of it, I'm not, I'm not, I can't pretend I'm the owner. Right. So part of that is actually just uh, I want to show the clout that I have this specific asset, right? Or I have the digital rights to this song and perhaps you want to take my art or my song and you pay me royalties to use it, right? And so, so there, it, it, it does really open up that ownership and provenance piece because so you, you're not actually, you know, the NFT is more so the provenance and who owns it rather than the actual art collectible and and so for many people, it's like, well, yeah, I bought that Beeple, uh, right, the 69 million dollar Christie's auction. I, I am the owner and you can see that it's in my wallet. And 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 it's you know, there is a certain clout that comes along with it, and perhaps maybe a mania. But I think just like, you know, Bitcoin 10, 12 years ago was pretty new, even within the last year, um, we're kind of in this next phase of evolution of where Bitcoin is, you know, I think NFTs are just starting to scratch the surface and um, what they're built on and the type of interoperability between the different blockchains, whether that's, you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin, because right now there are, there is some interoperability. People are wrapping Bitcoin onto the Ethereum network so they can participate in decentralized finance, right? This is going to, like, there's going to be many layers built on top, Uh, that allow for digital asset trading or trade or marketplaces or ecosystems that operate between each other. And I think we're just we're in this magical stage where we recognize it's happening and participating and and just trying to figure out where is it going to go next.
5: (laughs) So is there any question why Mags is such a, a valuable asset to Canada? And, uh, no, honest to God. And, and like why three IQ is so ha- uh, lucky to have her for the short period of time that they had her. But, uh, yeah, mag's I can't say anything after that. I mean, you nailed every single point. Um, I will say, so just to add on though, um, let's talk very quickly, central bank, digital currencies. So it's going to be a reality. What is it? It's digital fiat. Yep. Mike, they're printing it out of thin air. You said it. Yep. And they'll be able to track you. Okay. Full stop do you want that? Yeah, you, you may, you may not. Um, but don't forget what digital digital central bank digital currencies are is fiat currencies with tracking. Were you at that, uh, uh, were you at that, uh, uh, protest rally? I see you spent some, uh, some coin in, uh, in the restaurant that's on the parade route. So, you know, this can be taken in, in two, in two ways. So folks, that, that's enough on, uh, on uh, CBDs, uh, central bank digital currencies. Uh, and then I like what you're saying. Um, I'm, I'm mostly a Bitcoin maxi, okay? I do have money with a firm in LA called Arca. Uh, some of the smartest guys in the room, no question. Arca is a digital assets management company, a uh, guy that I used to trade high yield bonds with by the name of Jeff Dorman you know, they believe in DeFi, they believe in all these other applications. And I'm not telling you that you shouldn't, I'm just telling you, I focus on Bitcoin. And I do believe that Bitcoin is the best blockchain in the world. And I do also believe that layer two and layer three solutions of Bitcoin will allow for NFTs to be issued on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's the most decentralized, uh, whether there's central, centralized, uh, uh, can, uh, characteristics of other blockchains, let's not go there. Okay, smart contracts, yes, 100%. It's technology. I did want to mention one thing that I think um, NFTs sort of will help. Um, I was involved in a company that went bankrupt, unfortunately, but it was called Digital Town. And it was based out of, uh, on the West Coast, based out of Seattle, run by a guy, a former uh, Cornell MBA, who uh, for some reason that attracted me just because I went there myself. That's not a great way of making a, an investment, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, I did it, and uh, and I lost all my money, which is okay. Uh, I took the risk. But the idea was that Digital Town would create their own tokens for each town. And imagine how that would work. And I, I drew the parallel to I'm a bar owner in Montreal. I happen to own eight Irish pubs, which also is not a great business in the COVID times, but it doesn't matter. Uh, imagine if Montreal had a digital currency that, uh, or a token that they could airdrop to all their citizens in Montreal area. And then it was up to each business to decide what those tokens could be worth. And as a bar owner, I'm like, hey, wouldn't it be cool? Let's say every citizen got dropped 100 tokens just for a number. And uh, all these citizens have 100 tokens. And I say, hey, come to the Old Orchard pubs and your 100 tokens is worth one beer. And all of a sudden, we got all these people coming to old orchard pubs and the pub down the street's like, what the the F is Foss doing? Okay. Oh, it's a hundred tokens for one beer. Screw him. I'm giving 50 tokens or you get two beers for a hundred tokens. So where do you think all the people are going to go then? Right. And all of a sudden you get this economy that's developing on top of a purely open. No one said it had this value until the shop owner or the small business owner in the city says, I'm going to, apply this amount of value to it to try and attract new clients. So, okay. Yeah. I lost all my money. It was a good idea. I told my wife about it. She's like, geez, now I actually understand what you were trying to invest in, but you're still a moron. You you lost all your money. Okay. So it's okay. You know, you take these risks, but the idea was that it, it had some promise and honest to God. So guess what happened after COVID? Well, you start seeing towns in Australia. I think it's Newcastle that's doing exactly that. And it's a beautiful thing. It facilitates, call it barter. You know, I, I'm going to tell you one story. Did you Did you ever hear about the guy that was trying to sell a cow for six hundred thousand dollars? Did you hear that story? So there's a yeah. guy walking in the village, and he's trying to sell a cow for six hundred thousand bucks. He's got a for sale sign, six hundred thousand bucks, and he's walking in town, and the town people are laughing their, their you know, laughing their head off at the guy. And uh, two days later, he's walking through town with three chickens, and uh, one of the town's folks yells out. Hey, buddy, I told you, you'd never sell that cow for 600, 600,000 bucks. And he goes, darn right. I did. I just got three of these $200,000 chickens. Okay. So, you know, it's all a question of what people place on that unit of account. And that should be a free, uh, uh, economy. It shouldn't be pulled out of the air. Like, you know, Mike, you said, oh, just they've started to print Fiat. No, Fiat has been debasing for the last hundred years. Your house has not gone up in value, you guys. It's that the unit of account has gone down in value. And it's mathematically a certainty that it will continue to debase. It's only math. Yeah, a $600,000 cow may not be so crazy in the future. And a $200,000 chicken may, in fact, be what the future is bringing us. So I think we're there in Zimbabwe. I hate to say it, but <laughs> I'll bet they, you there's a two hundred. They're all fiat. They are all they are all fiat based, and fiat is based on trust that the central bankers will not debase your currency. But guess what? That's all they do. Anyway. We'll they do it slowly. Times it's so you sorry, don't notice it. except, except in slowly. the last year or so. Canada has broken all records for Not being slow, but don't worry. DBRS just affirmed Canada's rating at uh, AAA was stable. Uh, We're going to get there. We're going to get there. So so to
4: to circle back on NFTs, though, I I do think I agree with Greg that we will see a shift where you want to be on network that is the most secure. So I think we will start to see more of that and to connect sort of, you know, the debasing. um, There's some really cool companies out there that are offering, for example, Bitcoin backed rewards. So instead of spending and and getting 2% back cash, maybe you're getting back Bitcoin. But for those folks that were doing that last year, Some of the goods they bought, the reward has become like half of what they actually bought or or even, you know, exceeded because they had some like bonus uh, multiplier. Um, So that's the type of things that we're starting to see become more mainstream. And um, and and even things like B-sports. Bitcoin eSports uh, and and there's trying starting to integrate into triple-a games um, where you you're like winning uh, Satoshi's and and you're you're playing for Satoshi's so I think this whole ecosystem around yes there there is this institutional story and store of wealth but we're also starting to see this story where it's being integrated into payments and gaming and potentially you know down the road nfts so I think it, it's as Greg says, you know we're very we're maximalist. We're focused on Bitcoin, and there's just so much innovation just right there on Bitcoin itself. Um, never mind, you know, like DeFi adding in and NFTs. It's just hard to keep track of it all. <laughs> you try, <laughs> but you can't right. be an expert.
3: And- now, now, how do how do NFTs? Or you mentioned something earlier about the NFTs related to certain tracking of commodities. Are you familiar with Abex Technologies and? the work they're trying to do there with futures contracts and actually tracking where the various copper, et cetera, comes from to ensure that, hey, you're getting the greenest copper. And they plan to do that through the crypto tech space. Um, It's one of the the old big pr- promoters I'm, I'm
4: familiar with companies that are doing provenance and kind of the, the rationale behind it, you know, making sure it's not fake. For example, you buy this diamond or you buy this Rolex right. and companies are starting to do that. And, and then a lot of times, you know, it's one of those stories, like, do you a, need a blockchain? Maybe you do, maybe you want that transparent record, but is it something that's like public or is it private? And if it's a, pl- pri- you know, public Private solution; it's much less exciting than something that is, you know, built on Bitcoin. Just personally to me, Um, Mm. I think you know, I understand why some people want to go that route, and I understand why NFTs. You know, part of the value of who owns it, uh, you you can see that it's transparent. For example, if you're on the Ethereum network, it's like, yes, I own this claim, and there's a bit of clout maybe associated with that. And that's, I mean, you know, if I buy an art piece that's two hundred million, it Part of it might be just because I want to be known as the guy that bought the art piece course, for 200 million. I I actually million. don't
3: I don't get that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I I saw the Mona Lisa hanging at the Louvre. <laughs> I don't own it. Yeah. Right, everyone takes pictures of it. There's copies of it everywhere. I mean, if that does that by default make the Louvre's copy of the the original of the Mona Lisa worthless? Like I'm not I'm not no, sure.
4: It's the Proof, right? The proof yeah. is in the pudding, right? Yeah. But but you want to make sure, though, that that proof is robust and sticks around for 5, 10, 15 more years, right? You don't Hundreds want of years. to launch it on some private blockchain. This company goes bankrupt and oh my God, I lost my like NBA top shot. Which was worth a hundred thousand for example, right? So (laughs) but right now they're valuable, but you want to make sure that they're around, especially if you made a significant investment and you think it's a collectible.
3: Do you do you know who bought the the game winning shot from the Raptors Sixers game back in the day? Someone must have bought that in Toronto.
4: Maybe it could (laughs) be a speculator. There's all these speculators.
3: Oh, it certainly wasn't me. Worth, but how about that the guy? Will be worth like you know
5: dozens oh, of really? dollars. The the the, the 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 fan there. The Can, uh, the Raptors best fan. He's uh, oh yeah yeah the, the guy who's got the car dealerships. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. who knows? I'm who knows? sure he owns it. So look again, Max. Man, you just uh, we got to work together in the future I'm again. Fired. And, <laughs> no, no, you are. You just you, you got it. And and here's the thing, right? It's about open economies. Uh, that value will capital world borrowing on um, Salzar's. Uh, line capital always flows to where it's treated best that typically is uh in uh open markets in my opinion um you know who's to say that the well we know that the mona lisa's uh, i don't even know what it's worth but just because you can take a digital copy of it it's the original is the original um let's not uh split the atom on that one but what what does What do smart contracts allow? And then what does the Bitcoin network assure? If you issue a smart contract on a network that's suspect, it's essentially the same thing as taking counterparty risk when you don't realize it. Like everyone says, hey, you know, yeah, I bought fire insurance. Yeah, okay, good, good. You bought fire insurance. Yeah, but I bought it from Foss and Company. (laughs) Sucker. I mean, come on. You know, you don't buy fire insurance from me. You buy fire insurance from someone that actually has, you know, a a, a high credit rate. Or, or a high counter a low counterparty risk and that's exactly what mags was saying about these nfts that should trade on a well in my opinion the worst, world's most secure and powerful computer
2: network so, so what you're saying is that the bitcoin ledger that blockchain, that most robust, according to uh, what a lot of the enthusiasts w- would argue, is the most robust uh, ledger. That has the strongest balance sheet within the crypto space. So and that's why
5: you look at it; it's a trillion dollars, right? It's it's more valuable right now. Here's a stat for you guys: it's more, it's more, it's twice as valuable as the entire Canadian banking system by market cap, and it's almost as valuable as the whole United States banking system by market cap. I don't know. That's sort of cool. <laughs> that's Bitcoin. After ten years, it this is more. This than-
3: is actually a pretty good jumping-off point, uh, Greg, for you to go into uh, your discussion on Bitcoin as a hedge vis-a-vis um, all those two hundred fiat currencies that exist in the world, and and maybe just touch on some of what you've written on about how you um, sort of backed out the value, the future value of Bitcoin via
5: CDS spreads. Well, I think that's a great question to okay, just to jump so, off and okay, jump into that. Great. And and uh, so, okay, so two things. And and you mentioned this before, Mike. Uh, you talked about inflation risk. So um, I'm I'm actually convinced that the world is misfocused here. It shouldn't be about inflation risk, which I believe there are real inflation in the world. It's measured by CPI, but who, who knows if that's a little manipulated or not? Hint, hint. But you know what's real inflation? Well, if you take Michael Saylor's definition of real inflation, it's the growth of the money supply, which is about fifteen percent. A year. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about true counterparty risk, true credit risk in the system. And so you mentioned, yes, I did do a paper. And so my history is on valuations of uh, enterprise value using or incorporating credit. Okay, because credit again is the pri- is the, has a priority of claim over equity. Countries don't have any equity, but again, those countries set the base level of borrowing pretty well in their in their uh, jurisdictions. So, yes, there are two hundred uh, fiat's. Uh, well, one hundred eighty-eight, I think, is the exact answer, or one hundred sixty-four. Who cares? All we ever care about is the G twenty, it seems. But countries default on a regular basis. So, countries like Venezuela. And Lebanon and Turkey, which is you know suffering eighteen uh, percent uh, inflation, not eighteen percent inflation, eighteen percent bank overnight rates. Um, you know there's there's problems in these countries. So if you live in any country that issues fiat, you should buy insurance on the fiat itself. In my opinion, it doesn't mean the fiat is going to immediately default, but like anything. Insurance premiums change as the risk profile changes. And there's also huge contagion. So let's talk about the G20. There will be a G20 default within my lifetime. I'm convinced of it. And how about this? There will be a G20 default within my lifetime. And there will be a G7 default within my kid's lifetime. And that's pretty scary to me. And you need to protect against that. And in my opinion, the best protection is Bitcoin. And using that thesis, I calculated the value of Bitcoin. And you said future value. No, no, it's the value today because CDS rates are traded today. And I took the CDS or the credit default swap rates, which is basically insurance against default on a sovereign nation. And I took the default insurance premiums today against the total outstanding unfunded and funded obligations of those countries. And I just summed it up and I came up with a price for Bitcoin today of between 110,000 US and 160,000 US today. And as CDS spreads widen, which I think is almost a certainty Much like in 2006, you could buy default protection on Lehman Brothers for nine basis points. Okay? In 2009, what does nine basis points mean? It means it costs $9,000 a year to insure $10 million of Lehman Brothers debt. Pretty good deal, it seemed. Certainly, since in 2009, that $9,000 was worth $6 million. OK, and that's what happens really quickly in credit markets. They are asymmetric credit markets only. You know, there's an expression. Equity guys are optimists and credit guys are pessimists. And why are credit guys pessimists? Because if a company or a country is doing really well, they don't increase the interest coupon they pay to you. That accrues to the equity guy or the tax base or, you know, why is Norway so so lucky the citizens of Norway. Well, because they have the world's biggest sovereign wealth fund per capita because of their oil wealth. Okay. That's like equity. So take the CDS rates, multiply it by the unfunded and funded obligations, unfunded obligations, Medicare, Medicaid in the U S is $160 billion. We are worried about $30 billion government debt. And there's 160 billion. So excuse 160 trillion, 160 trillion in medicare and medicaid and we're worried about 30 trillion in government guys the math is just mind-boggling take that take a, a five-year cds rate calculate what that's worth divide it by the number of bitcoin that will never change which is 21 million and you come up with a number it's pretty simple you can run that spreadsheet okay and then people will look at me and they'll say fos we've always hated you. Now we hate you more. Okay. Because, you know, this is a simple thing that you're saying that Bitcoin is better than fiat. And I am saying that it's better. It doesn't mean I want fiats to fail. I'm just telling you, you're supposed to own fire insurance on your house and you're supposed to own insurance on your absolute certainty that your currency debases. So let's hit this number that we talked about. DBRS, affirmed Canada at AAA today. Oh, thank God. TBRS. I was really worried. They're clowns. Okay. They're clowns because the CDS market is telling you that Canada is actually trading as a single a credit right now. That's what I'm worried about.
2: The market- you there, Greg, just for yes, a second. Sir. The CDS market is traded, right? So I, I I'm just I, I wanted to get at a point because I have read this on your uh, on your Twitter feed and I thought the thesis is, it, it, I think it's very interesting but the same way volatility can get mispriced and we see it because for uh, for the longest of times you don't have one of these huge cataclysmic events and so people become more comfortable in selling volatility and so volatility gets mispriced right. isn't the CDS market also because it's traded doesn't that also mean that the signaling mechanism within the CDS market can be somewhat oh yeah uh 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 manipulated uh, manipulated
5: manipulated? No. it's not like there's a central bank that sells CDS on itself. I mean it's an open market.
2: Would you put it past so the 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 <laughs> the Fed is now buying uh tips? Right. It, it, the, the, the One of the reasons why the inflation break evens in the market has been a little bit wonky is because the Fed has now become the largest buyers in tips. And so they're now playing in an arena that they weren't even playing before. And that has skewed the market's preferred uh, inflation metric. What I'm saying is I don't think you can put it past any central banks to change the rules of the game to keep the legacy financial system going. Oh, no, no. Well, I, I,
5: they will have to. They Some of them they, don't, they, don't have to. Here's a question for you. Do you buy? Fire insurance from a pyromaniac? No, you don't. Okay. So you don't buy insurance. insurance from a fiat printer. Okay. That's counterparty risk, guys. Yes, they'll pay you back, Richard. I think this is where you're going. You'll get your money back. You'll get it in Fiat that you send to the curb, like in Venezuela, because it's worth nothing. Okay, That's
2: what I'm trying to get. It's not going to be a default, right? Because at the end of the day, the default is it it breaks the system. It It breaks the system.
5: Look, again, and I don't want the system to break. Please don't send me hate mail, guys. I want this to work for my kids. I don't want this eventuality. But the math is leading us to there. Fiat... Is broken because global debt to GDP is four times. Total global debt to total global GDP is four times. So let's do some quick math. If the average coupon on that debt is 3%, I'm just pulling that number out. I think that's actually low, but 3% on total global debt. And why do you take total global debt? Because interest expense is tax deductible. So it doesn't impact your tax base. You need total global debt. Divided by total global GDP. Okay, that's your metric for your tax base versus your tax, your your the your growth in your in your in your debt balances. Right. This is even before we're printing all this absurd amount of money. Four times three is twelve. Unless your total global GDP is growing at twelve percent per year, it's a mathematical certainty that your debt balance is going to grow faster than your GDP. That's called a debt. DEBT spiral. And if you have a DEBT spiral, the error term is the fiat currency. They have to print more of it. It's what closes the equation. You mathematically inclined people out there know what an error term is. And to make ma- life simple, fiat is an error term. Very simple. Okay. You need to hedge the error term. Again,
2: mathematics. So Let's fast forward this problem, right? Because I, I think, again, another point that we're all in violent agreement, there's too much debt in the system. The debt overhang is going to uh, uh, drive uh, lower and lower growth, especially because none of this debt is being used for any productive gains. It's all being used for for expenditure, especially with the cash outlays that we've seen. So we're all in agreement there. The, the default of this debt is way too painful. What they're trying to do, what they're desperately trying to do is to create inflation, to 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 have this soft uh, default, which is basically to inflate away the nominal value of this debt, which is why the allure of hard assets and crypto assets has, has just grown in the past decade, right? Just keep that
5: thought. Keep that thought. You can't inflate it away. What happens to the coupon in the numerator? The coupon adjusts to the inflation rate. Like, again, it's a debt spiral. You can have all this beautiful stuff. Oh, we're going to not, you know. Uh, we're going to just for the tips,
2: this. just for the tips portion of the of, of the market for 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 the regular treasury. The, the tips is a small portion of that market. For 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 the regular for, for for the vast majority of the treasury securities out there, it's all in nominal dollars, right? So what I'm trying to get at is, this is I think one of the major risks for crypto, and I, I and I do have a, a follow-up question after the sure. one I'm gonna pose to you right now. You on
5: this. So finish this question, because I think you're overlooking something. So go ahead.
2: The, do you think sovereign governments, once they perceive their ability for seniority, for, for printing away their debt to be in jeopardy, don't you think that there's a chance, no matter how many institutions, and no matter how much bona fides the, the crypto space has attained, that at one point there is going to be uh, a, an attempt at banning it, which is going to scare at least the instill players away. They'll, at they'll one be, point, I'm not saying it's going to break it, but it's going to yeah. scare some of the, the, okay. the institutional players.
5: There's so many uh, counter arguments to that. I'll just go out with the freedom of speech code. Bitcoin is math and code. Okay. Code is speech. Freedom of speech is the first uh, uh, amendment. Okay. Is it the first one? I think it is the first one in the u s. okay? it's and 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 there's an argument that you know you ban uh, bitcoin. it It's also not done at the federal level. Each state would have to endorse this. And I think there would be states that uh... so is it a risk, Richard? Yes. The world is always you play probabilities. Can I say with one hundred percent certainty that wouldn't happen? I cannot, but let's say it does happen. What what, will, what is likely to happen? Yes, an immediate huge drop in price, but then people get it and they say, geez, I shouldn't be selling this thing. I should actually be buying it. It shows even more value that it's that's the value.
2: The reason but, they want to ban it is actually the allure for everyone to want to buy it you. again. Thank you. Yeah, you yeah,
5: yeah, but let me yeah, get yeah. back to this one thing. You talked about tips as being, hey, that is always repricing. When you're in a debt spiral, you need to roll your debt. Okay. Because that doesn't mature. Okay. That never matures. It just gets rolled. And what happens when it rolls? Well, they take an old coupon and they replace it with the market price of a new coupon. And when the inflation is involved, that new coupon gets a higher price. Hence, again, your numerator is going to be continually repriced. It's not just the, uh, the tips. Okay. So the floating rate portion of this, this whole thing, it's always floating, okay? Because billions of dollars of debt that has to roll each auction is just the repricing mechanism. And what happens when it doesn't roll? What happens when a big player, much like what happened in the asset-backed commercial paper market, when the case de Dépôt et Placements Quebec decided not to roll their asset-backed commercial paper? It stopped overnight, okay? I've lived these calamities. Don't tell me that, oh, everything's fine. You're sitting there managing risk and you're like, hey, I don't want to be the last one out of this room. Okay, I'm going to stop rolling my debt. But if you're a big guy like CalPERS or the case and you stop rolling your debt, these numbers start adding up. Have you noticed, by the way, that foreign purchases of US treasuries have been declining steadily? I don't know. That could be something that I'd be concerned about. I'll also say that when Bitcoin is the de facto reserve asset of the world because energy is priced in Bitcoin, there'll be a parallel universe called the fiat currency universe. But the Bitcoin universe is going to be the one where people store their value. The other one is going to be where people transact. And yes, you can do these modern monetary theory experiments to keep the world alive, which, look, if you don't have a choice, you got to do it. It's only math. But don't forget where you want to store your value versus what you want to transact in. And that's what I – like I think you're a really smart guy. I can tell already your, your questions. But it's a probability, Richard. You can never be 100% certain. Don't be Peter Schiff. Don't miss the trade of your lifetime because you're too stupid. You've got 97% of the – you've got 97% him, Greg. of the, the – well, no, don't wait, be too on. stupid, Richard. You, don't, don't overthink this, okay? This trade right now- I got a so
2: comfortable strange. position in Bitcoin. I'm not I'm not going <laughs> to fight you on that. No. I'm actually playing devil's advocate here. I hear you, man.
3: And so I'm, on. Yeah, I'm
4: continuously. i trying need to get some comfort good. here.
3: I need no, to- It's good. Me. It's good, Greg. And Greg, that's awesome. And we love that. We love because, it. Because Richard not. can
5: take it. So now keep it. How about it, this, Richard? Okay, so I'm going to play a game of probabilities with you, okay? I think, and I'm not joking, if- Bitcoin does become the world's reserve asset. There's $900 trillion worth of assets in the world right now. Okay? If Bitcoin becomes the reserve asset of the world, do you think it's possible that Bitcoin gets 10% of that market, meaning Bitcoin's worth $90
2: trillion someday? Well, if you take your prior assumption, more than that for sure. But 10% is a very opt. It is a very pessimistic base, yeah, for sure.
5: Pessimistic. Oh well, okay. So it's possible. Therefore, it's probably they- more than that.
2: If it's the reserve currency, how about this? How sure. about this? Thing? It's, it's, it's a big. It's a big assumption, but sure.
5: How about yes. then? I'll say a hundred ninety trillion bucks divided by twenty one million is what it's about four and a half million dollars per coin. Okay, I gotta go. I gotta go buy some. Hold more. on, hold on, no, don't don't leave me at Four and a half million bucks a coin. What you're therefore saying? is with 99% probability, it can never happen. But what if it's the 1% probability it happens? 99% times zero is zero. I know,
2: probability adjusted. It, it, 1% it times
5: 4.5 million bucks, okay, is 45,000 bucks. Hey, isn't it interesting? You're giving me 99 to 1 odds, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to wave it in, and I'm going to say, dude, I think it's way higher than 1%. So what am I supposed to do? I'm buying it with both hands and you guys can go. You're
2: sounding like a bookie right now, Greg, but sure it's enough. not a
5: bookie. I've done this for 32 years. I'm never certain. I just play probabilities. And Jason Marks, who who Mike knows really well, mm-hmm. is all about probabilities. He'll always talk about betting. And this is sort of a bet. In my opinion, it's not a bet. It's a hedge. H-E-D-G, however you spell it. Okay. It <laughs> is a hedge. It's not a bet. Because I don't want this to happen. I think Bitcoin goes up no matter what. But if it does go up to these astronomical levels, I want to own it because I'm hedging against central bank shenanigans.
2: I think that hedge argument is one of the most solid. That's how I made my piece with buying something that had such a huge information asymmetry where I I know that the people in the space know know so many orders of magnitude more than the rest of us. That is just a joke. But I I totally took the probability adjusted uh, uh, thinking to its conclusion. And I was like, I got to hedge me. But I I wonder if we kind of like, I read something uh, these days that I thought was a very interesting, a uh, exposure of a, what sounded like a real risk, uh, to Bitcoin, not to its existence, but to a potential fork. Uh, and I found out a couple of things that I had no idea were actually true. So it sounds like uh, within the amber of that blockchain ledger that is Bitcoin, we have things like leaked classified documents, even child pornography. Some some crazy stuff has been hashed into the uh, blockchain ledger that is Bitcoin. So the the, the thesis was, is there enough like how sensitive uh, a piece of information would be that once it was hashed into the blockchain would force governments to want to bring it down perhaps in China for instance that has a significant portion of the mining and force a fork in the system because you have a i don't know 30 40% of the miners in China and then you have another significant portion uh, you know, in uh, some other countries, I uh, I don't even know where some of the other major players are. But if, but if you did have a forced fork because the 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 government of that country simply shut down the 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 mining capabilities of that. Uh...
5: So key question, um, and I'm going to let Mag's uh, answer in more detail than me. There's two two things. First of all, it's not just about miners; it's about nodes, right? The amount of nodes protecting the system, not just the miners, um, and the other question is about forks and we've had some forks and the biggest uh, controversy was Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin Satoshi value versus Bitcoin and it survived it. And it, the, the network worked as, as uh, intended. Okay. It's uh a 51% attack becomes increasingly unlikely as the network grows and it's worth trillions of dollars. Okay. Um, Is it playing probabilities again? I can't say never. I just can't because I just don't know. But again, if I play these versus where I think this thing could go, I try not to overthink it. I mean, I already know that I'm giving you something like 95% odds. It's going to zero. I'm giving you that. Do I really need to get the 96% because you tell me there's pornography on it? I don't need to get there, okay? We're splitting the atom again. So over to you, Max.
4: Yeah, I just... It's almost funny because um, I'm like, what? That would not happen. But <laughs> so let's just kind of break that down. So, so first off, I mean, governments have tried to ban Bitcoin. China's banned Bitcoin how many times now? <laughs> In various degrees. Uh, India is currently working towards banning Bitcoin. Um, but because this is a decentralized system, right, it's censorship resistant. So part of that, you know, free speech. Government can't censor it. Sure, they can write laws, but I can run my own node. I can even power up my own miner. And I did a few days ago just to see what it's like. Um, And so I can participate in that network. If the government shuts down the internet, Starlink, I have Starlink right now. I'm connected through (laughs) satellites. So it's, it's not that simple. So I guess the scenario, you know, thinking that through the scenario that you're talking about is more about, okay, so what if China grabs every single mine and that that's kind of maybe the only kind of scenario where you start to approach that kind of a situation but let's just theoretically say you know there's a certain amount of hashing power that is more than 51 which like to, to be clear this is the largest honeypot out there in the world we have a trillion dollar asset class there is highly motivated people to try to take that honeypot and nobody has no government has so so. First of all, like it hasn't happened yet, and as the network grows in value, the more money is put towards securing it. Companies like MicroStrategy now that have you know put Bitcoin on their treasuries, they're donating towards security efforts. For example, run by MIT to add additional security to the network. So it's not so simple, and and theoretically, like so, we have like as Greg said. Greg said we have had forks before, but I think part of the magic of what people think makes Bitcoin special is it can't be co-opted or taken by a government. And so if it doesn't it's if it's not the fundamental idea of what Bitcoin is and it becomes, um, uh, you know, censored that won't be Bitcoin and it won't be the chain that actually has the value just as we saw with Bitcoin cash, Amen. which is like,
5: psh, Amen. Falling and, and in I'm going to add to that. Okay. Mags, and you mm-hmm. just brought up, it. so imagine that China, you know, controls the miners, meaning the, the A6 chips, essentially, don't you think the world might have a little bit of a bigger problem? Don't you think that defense departments would start to worry about defending against, you know, uh, chip manufacturing in centralized locations that may not be friendly, uh, uh, jurisdictions, don't you think Bitcoin mining might be a good thing to bring back some of the uh, the foundries, the the chip foundries from overseas to the rare earth uh, uh, opportunities that exist in the United States? You know, that's exactly it. what I'm trying to get. That's at. happening. I
4: mean- My, mining manufacturing is coming home. Right, we have mining pools that are opening up in North America. Um, foundries are opening up in the U S still to be built, but it it is, you know, Chinese miners are looking to diversify geopolitically. Mongolia is, you know, the government in China, there is shutting down mining in in China, which from an environmental perspective uh, it's to meet carbon, um, uh, carbon targets, but it's, you know, it's happening. And in, and in many cases it is actually a good thing because both hashing power and actual mining equipment and mining pools. So there's different components of that mining ecosystem are moving and becoming in some ways a little bit more evenly distributed.
2: So yeah, well, I was think. trying to get at on the geopolitical, like would the block uh, the, the the Bitcoin blockchain, could it get uh, uh, locked in between the geopolitical clash between the West And China, but 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 Greg has conceded ninety five percent probabilities of it not working. That 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 I feel like any question of the risk has become moot at this point because he's just considered so much risk out there.
5: It's it's correct, and it's it's never moot. Okay, we need to hear these arguments, but then we also have to look at the positive impacts that this has. Okay, this is the freest system that's ever been developed, and what happens under that is. Again, free uh, secondary and uh, tertiary businesses that come back locally. Um, you know, is it good that uh, Mongolia is what's happening to Mongolia? You know, I'm going to throw out this. Uh, uh, you know, Microsoft already knows that it'll never meet its, uh, its carbon footprint by uh, using solar energy to power their data centers, for example. So what do, how do they, they offset their carbon? They plant more trees. Okay. I mean, there's, there's wrongs in, in all of this stuff. Is it wrong to think that, uh, you know, the, the ASIC miners should come back to North America, even though there's environmental concerns? Like that's one of the reasons they all left is because some of the, uh, the silica and, uh, and, uh, byproducts of, uh, of chip manufacturing are somewhat dangerous uh if you control this properly this becomes a question of national defense as much as open and free markets and i'm just i'm an engineer if this hasn't if i haven't made this clear it's about math okay it's about freely functioning economies not fun. Uh, not Economies that are manipulated either through fake interest rates and fake costs of capital. It's about real industries following a store of value that creates wealth based on natural resource energy being converted into digital energy. And then that store of value is distributed amongst the world so that I can pass something of value to my kids. And it could be real estate, but it could also be other stores of value. And that's what makes me excited uh, it's only math. I, I would add. It. I would add to your math there, Greg. The the whole
3: uh, Metcalf's law, and the adoption rate, and the number of nodes, and so as we get, you know, talking about defending the system. So as you get Visa, Coinbase, as you get all of these public market gr- grayscale, all of these public market on ramps to get institutional and and private wealth money into this space, it becomes increasingly difficult for any government to say, we're not going to do this anymore. I mean, even at this point in the United States, I think it would be very difficult to say we're not going, we're going to outlaw Bitcoin on a a couple of scales. One is that you've got some of the wealthiest people in the United States, whether it's Soros, uh, the family offices, Miller, et
5: cetera, plus MicroStrategy, plus all of the other players. will happen, Mike, but you know, it's, it's, it's not a federal decision. It's a state-by-state state decision. Sure. And I'm almost certain that Wyoming would go say, oh, okay, well, you guys can all close down, but come over yeah. here we're, and we're, what would yeah. Miami say? What would the, the mayor of Miami say? <laughs> hey, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, New York. Yep. You're so fucking yeah. stupid. Again, <laughs> yeah. come to well, Miami. Again. Yeah. You've got, you got this
3: You're technological at a disadvantage. disadvantage. Economically. Co- correct. Not only economically, but from the standpoint of the technological wave that follows and builds upon all of the things that are already there. And so it, it's really difficult to, you know, is it possible? Sure. It's possible. And I, and I like the probabilistic thinking. And I think that that's absolutely the case, but as we have continued to see, more and more adoption and more and more adoption through traditional means we i think someone uh, megs you mentioned uh, mass mutual uh, participating uh, and then all the all the folks that don't want to say that they're participating and all the folks that are participating through means which are you know uh, equity related because they can't or bond related because they, they bought the MicroStrategy uh, debt issue. Correct. But um, it's still
5: small, right? That's still small potatoes. It's, it, it's, it's small expensive.
3: potatoes, but from a political influence oh, yeah. perspective, right? So, so there's a couple of things. One is you have the wealthy on the political influence from the standpoint of the United States government. So they are going to uh, lobby the government. The and other the bankers that are
4: leading the banking correct, yeah, Correct. There you go.
3: And, and the millennials. I think people are underestimating the fact that there is nothing that millennials can buy. They can't buy a home because they can't afford it after tax. And the baby boomers have benefited the most from this massive inflation and asset prices. You want inflation. There has been inflation. It's asset price inflation. And just be a millennial trying to buy a house in a major city or now in any outlying city. After tax, that's very difficult.
5: Well said. And so so keep going. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I'm just saying the
3: the millennial side of it, the millennial side of it is you have both the top working, but then you have this the largest population bubble is the millennials now. It's not the baby boomers. And so if you say, hey, by the way, we're going to take away – your only opportunity to equalize the wealth, because you know it's a very popular investment in that domain. I would be interested to see, you know, how that government got elected in the next election.
2: <laughs> and you take the millennials, and then you take the. So I, I, I'm now going to be in agreement. You take millennials and the following generations, Gen Zers, and so on. People, are the generations that have been living in the technology space from birth the gamers, their adoption is going to be so much faster. They already deal in digital coins in their games and buying all their props and all these different uh, uh, simulations. So I, I totally understand that there's going to be a power grab at one point. The legacy system that's still being held uh, by the boomers is going to hang on as tight as they can. Sure. But eventually the the, the time will, will bring the, this this reality that you guys are describing, I think. Mags needs
5: to go. Um, yeah, but so, I, I, so I'm seeing that as well, let's, yeah. let's just let's give it uh, before you go, Mags. I want you to comment on this. Okay, so right now there's a hundred million people using Bitcoin. When that gets to a billion, one eighth of the world's population, thereabouts, Mike, I think that's what you're going to hit on. Your Metcalf's law. Yeah. Um, that's you know, as Sailor says, this is the fastest growth of any system to reach a trillion dollars in, you know, compared to my uh, Amazon, compared to Apple um the 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 success uh, speaks for itself so then you'll have this the the various uh senators on the banking system and then we talked about nydig now i can't remember if we talked about it It just in the intro or if we talked we, about we, it on, intro
3: we talked about it okay. so, so we need so to it, talk
5: about nydig okay so it got funded by new york life mass mutual morgan stanley And, uh, George Soros. Okay. This is an unbelievable endorsement by the legacy financial system. Okay. They want to be part of this. NYDIG is Ross Stevens stone, uh, Stone Ridge capital, uh, NYDIG, New York digital investment group, brilliant kids, uh, or brilliant leader, Ross Stevens. Okay. Over to you, Mags. This is part of the, uh, ecosystem that's growing every single day. And as it grows, it becomes less risky not more risky. The time to kill Bitcoin was probably in 2016. Okay, I will tell you, I got involved in Bitcoin in 2016 when it was 800 bucks US and you know the price right now. And I firmly believe it's a better investment now than when I got involved in it in 2016. Okay. Everybody needs to adjust their probability distributions accordingly. So over to you, Max.
4: Yeah, no, just to echo those, I think those are excellent closing thoughts. I think even this last five, six months have seen such tremendous change, let alone the last year in terms of the type of participation and the diversity of participation. And and and, and we're seeing, so both on the asset, you know, management side and and store of wealth side, but I mean, we're starting to see that we haven't talked about this yet, but Jack Mallers and what he's doing with Lightning Strike is just just absolutely incredible. He is doing, you know, whether it's peer to peer payments or remittances at no cost, instantaneous, you don't see that FX fee, and it's just going to completely disrupt how people move money around the world. And, you know, and and, and banking does not make it easy either to, to shift money. So we have from the small payments, you know, micropayments side, all the way going down to like oh there goes a billion dollars that was sent there goes multi billion dollars right we're seeing these transactions more and more, and and I I agree I think it's in some ways too late but if you do try to ban it you're you're hitting yourself economically competitively and your citizens though might realize it first of all they can't be blocked like they will transact dark markets peer to peer it will happen you cannot prevent that from happening but more so you know you for those that try to pay by the rules you're doing them a tremendous disservice as a government if you're both from the perspective of we could be launching the next company that's the unicorn that's you know adding value globally so you're cutting your your businesses because we've moved to the innovation based economy we're no longer just manufacturing. So people are launching, you know, digital products, digital companies. So if you're preventing your base from earning income on a global scale that then maybe contributes to your taxes, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting your citizens. And they cannot, you know, if they're in a country like Argentina, they want to prevent debasing of their funds. There's some folks that get paid maybe once a month and it sucks every month. It's 30% less, 30% less. So they opt for example, to get, and I know personally, you know, the folks that hire Argentinians and they're paying them in USDT, like stable coins or Bitcoin, because um, of the huge impact. So, so I think the world has gone through tremendous change, and we've gotten to the point where we have government officials in the U.S. where banks ha- can hold Bitcoin, um, you know, on behalf of other folks. And it's just the it's really hard to keep up. Who's entering next, and who's adding Bitcoin next to their balance sheet? And, but it, but and and you know while Coinbase um, S one filing for their IPO shows that it's actually institutions that have been um, in the last quarter adding the most Bitcoin in terms of buying, um, there's still the retail element that you can't ignore.
3: Go, Mike, no, Megs. If you have
5: to go, we can continue. You get, you make, yes, regret, I need you to say Why, stay, why are on. you not the CEO of a company, Mike? <laughs> okay, honest to God, <laughs> like, honest, on can it. <laughs> you please get that job, and so I can endorse you and just say she's, this she's is why CEO of Megs Crypto. I will tell you what, all right? You are so well-spoken, and it's a pleasure to be here with you, okay? And I'm so happy that Mike, uh, Richard, and Adam had the – not the guts, but just the foresight to uh, to invite you on the show. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll give
3: props to Sean
5: Cumbie. Sean Cumbie said man. you yeah, have Sean. to have Crypto Mags on, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if Sean says it's so then it is so, and it is so. And and look, uh, you do such a great service for Canada, Mags, and you're you're so. You, 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 well, look, I, I'm proud to call you a friend, and I want to I want to really really help you move your. Uh, intelligence to the next level, okay? Because we need people like you so badly. They don't need an old fifty-seven-year-old washed-up high-yield <laughs> trader, okay? What they need is young, uh, sparkling people like you. So, have a great night tonight, and uh, thank you for uh, being part of this show. I think it was great.
4: Thanks, gentlemen. This was an excellent question. You,
3: you, we got a couple it's questions going on here too, so I'm gonna we're gonna keep going a little bit. If, if you got time, Greg or Richard, you got a couple more minutes sure
5: i okay. i have a, i have all the time in the world and mags go go get them tonight um yeah. maybe I'll i don't know where you're I'm going
3: scared. and what it's she's left enjoy <laughs> <laughs> she was great so a couple of interesting questions coming up through through youtube as well and um uh one of them is uh well a couple from jason buck actually and uh he's wondering you know can mining profits lead to sort of leaps in energy advancements so i think that's kind of very particular for yourself, Greg, and and Validus Power and what you're doing there and, and how you might think about, well, you guys are already making those leaps. So how would you add extra flesh to that What a great question! question. eh?
5: Um, You know, uh, well, you you and Jason should meet because you guys get along well. Okay. Well, thanks for the question (laughs) and thanks for listening. Um, So, all I know is this: uh, again, on a free market basis, capital always flows to places it's treated best. If you are creating a uh, a new energy system, which is essentially what the our our partners in Texas did. Uh, with this uh, fuel skid that goes in and cleans. So so flare gas can be very dirty, right? Um, it's got butanes and all other hydrocarbons in it that don't burn cleanly, and they can destroy a, uh, a very valuable $30 million jet turbine engine quickly. But the technology that cleans that fuel and then uh, allows the clean fuel to be run through the uh, the turbine and then capture the carbon i mean this is all really exciting stuff for otherwise energy that was being vented into the atmosphere uh so i yes i think the answer is a hundred percent i think it's a, it's an example of uh as the price of bitcoin goes up yeah you can afford to pay more for energy but energy will still be the defining factor for uh mining profitability And then there's the difficulty factor that takes place on the Bitcoin network, which I actually think is the most beautiful part of the Bitcoin network itself, okay, is the difficulty adjustment. All of this plays into uh, Jason's question, uh, which is yes. (laughs) It means if for some day, for example, that renewable energy uh, or uh, solar projects Uh, actually become profitable because of Bitcoin wouldn't that be wonderful right so I'm talking to a guy in Australia that's reaching out to me because uh, he hears me on podcasts and he says I'm a 57 year old engineer and I've been involved in this company that actually proves that if you shift the angle of your full photovoltaic um uh, receptor for a solar energy, it's much more efficient than just having it static. Okay. Blows my mind. My, I'm not going to tell him he's wrong. I've never heard this before, but imagine if Bitcoin mining makes that technology and proves that technology to be the case. Cause right now it's our belief at Violet power that renewable energy, true renewable energy costs from solar power and wind power actually add and Ma- Mags mentioned this, they tax the rest of the system. It's, it's spread out over the rate base of the rest of the consumers. But what happens if you develop these technologies such as a, as, as a photo, fo- photovoltaic uh, reflector that, that moves and you've developed this technology because it, Bitcoin mining proves that it works. So over time, is, is renewable energy going to be a, a, a factor? And will it be profitable? Yes, 100%. It will. It's the way the world works. Technology will improve by both ends. What if the price of Bitcoin allows energy rates to be paid on these projects that otherwise consumers wouldn't be able to pay? Okay, how, how exciting mm. would that be? Because you have a project that's running off of a solar energy farm that doesn't need backup uh, uh, generation because it's not not to the grid. It's just to your Bitcoin miners. And you can pay that price. It's a captive system. Man, again, I'm an engineer. I get excited by these geeky things. But I think that energy, there is an argument that civilizations will move uh, globally, civilizations, our biggest cities have been centered around ports of call, okay? Like, you know, where the ships could come in. In the future, and I'm not going to be alive for this, I believe that civilizations will be formulated around projects where energy is abundant, but it's not being used and it can't be transported more than 500 miles to make it used in a city, it's 500 miles away just because it's at a port of call rather than being in the middle of some place that has abundant energy, but we're just not using it.
3: This is a so, Ross. So,
5: so, sorry, go
3: ahead. So, so, Greg, yeah, how do you, how do you, one of the questions I had was so you've got these very transportable, you know, on, on the flare gas side, how do you make sure you can connect that? I'm assuming in order to mine Bitcoin, you've got to be connected to the network. Like you've got to be, you've got to have infrastructure that connects so it's can you satellite. talk about that it's, so it's satellite so you, oh, yeah you just yeah, yeah. start link
5: it up and you're done you should see this go easy to our website you can see this thing unfold over a I have, period of time <laughs> it is it again I went to engineering so, I wasn't quite sure I, why I did engineering I didn't really want to do it uh but I knew that I was okay at math and I could get through it and I did it for four years at McGill having known after the first week of classes that I never wanted to be an engineer Okay. Well, I was at McGill for other reasons. Um, much like Well, like you, Mike, I played football. Um, I was nowhere near as good as you, but, uh, at the end of the day, some of my guys, you know, there's a couple of McGill guys that play in the NFL right now. So yeah. it wasn't crazy good football, but it wasn't crazy. It was bad. But I was there, I was there as an engineer, but I was there as a walk on, I played four years, but that's why I was at McGill. But I looked at myself, I said, you know, I could, I could, uh, why did I take turbo machinery in my fourth year after four After in my last semester, I could have taken an elective and I decided to take turbo machinery. And I'm like- A little extra brain damage. Well, well, a little extra, but also it was (laughs) on Friday mornings at 8 a.m. I Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 a.m. Talk about brain damage, Friday mornings at 8 a.m. So anyway, I took it for some reason. And the reason I took it as my life is unfolding is that uh, I wanted to understand jet engines being transported around on the back of a trailer truck and how much power that actually is. Okay, we have projects in the Permian Basin that can supply us with three gigawatts worth of flare gas. Three gigawatts is about one quarter of the amount of power that Ontario uses. Now, that's exciting uh, stuff. On what time oh, scale?
2: Uh, a day? What is it? Three gigawatts?
5: Oh, so it's, it's measured in megawatt hours and gigawatt hours and all this stuff. So it's, it's, you know, this is where the electricity guys get all excited. Just, just think of it on a, on a capacity. On
2: on an hour basis, the, the three gigawatts.
5: Uh, your question. So three gigawatts is a max out. It, it, it is, it is linear. Correct. So, so it is the equivalent of one quarter of the power plus or minus one quarter of the power of Ontario. That's, that's what I want to leave you with. Okay. Whether that's, yeah. Can you know, you imagine taking that and turning that into a viable resource. It is. I, we're going to turn I, it I into the that? digital energy that yeah, it stores it. value. I'm not going to say, yeah. I'm not going to tell you we're we're green, But we're taking a waste product, and it's currently not helping the environment, and we're actually using that energy, capturing the carbon, and creating a store of value out of it. And all I know is that all these ESG guidelines that have been set up by these large pension funds are now turning around and biting them. Because what's the best performing sector in the S&P this year? of course and who has underexposed to energy all the esg guys right so sometimes regulation is not uh used as intended i'm all for cleaning up the environment i'm all for like i love the oceans okay but at the end of the day let's call it what it is this is a revolution and it's also an evolution evolution okay it's evolutionary and revolutionary so I think that's what the exciting thing so how do we so as we move and and, and Jason's got another question here that I think relates to
3: what I'm gonna ask you from the standpoint of so we've had some exponential returns in Bitcoin and the crypto space and so as those translate into more linear as we get as we get more broad adoption and acceptance of Bitcoin across uh, the, the globe as being a, a store of value and the base of everything that we're going to process. So how does that shift? Cause there's going to be an adjustment in the difficulty for miners. There's going to be an adjustment in the profitability for miners. So I guess part of the, part of the, the, the thesis for long-term miners is I've got to secure really low
5: cost power. I love you, man. And and so, 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 what we're working on okay. So, yeah, go ahead. So, so, so great question again, Jason. Obviously, the the man has done some pretty, pretty deep thinking. What would I think, first of all, I mining itself is a bad business. Okay, I'm gonna come right out there, and Jamie Leverton, CEO of HUD 8, is a great friend of mine. And you know, we were talking about maybe getting her on the show, but mags was was way uh, just a better fit for this show and again yep. but jamie's another example of a young lady who's just making such incredible leaps in in uh so female who's managing a uh, ceo youngest ceo of a publicly traded company uh so cool uh but bitcoin mining is a tough business okay because you don't control your input costs that's energy and you don't actually control your revenue because that's set open market right you're not setting the price of your product the market's setting the price so there's other things like that you talk gold mining the gold mining parallel but what is a bitcoin miner it really needs to be vertically integrated okay you need to be able to develop a structure which i call it the bottom of the funnel so i'm gonna go where okay you have the bottom of the funnel you have the bitcoin miner and you have the top of the funnel and think of it as being an hourglass where sand is flowing upwards not down and the sand is energy from the ground being turned into digital energy being turned into distribution amongst the world's store of wealth okay the cool thing is, if you are vertically integrated like that, your product is much, your mining business is much less susceptible to um, uh, the whims of, uh, of open markets. More importantly, think of the value of each of these parts. Even if Bitcoin's worth a trillion bucks at the center at the nozzle and bitcoin miners are worth what they they can't even possibly be worth 100 billion but so the nozzle itself is worth 1.1 trillion what's the bottom of the nozzle worth Well, i don't know it's worth at least 25 trillion okay that's the energy uh component and what's the top of the nozzle this is where things get really exciting and this is the Nidig uh uh parallel um hey that's worth at least 100 trillion dollars globally this is exciting, guys. That's your total addressable market. It's not, It's it, the mining is a key component, but if you can reduce your risk of that business by vertically integrating, that's-
3: uh, Yeah, that from, from, from the tip of the drill to the freaking art in NFT that we talked about. Well,
5: so, so Jason's question <laughs> was though, uh, exponential. Hey, I honestly believe, I honestly believe that the greatest growth of Bitcoin could still be in front of us. Could I be wrong? Yeah, 100% I could be wrong. But on a risk adjusted basis, and this is key, I said this before, I think, I hope I did, that I think Bitcoin's actually less risky on a risk adjusted basis than it was when I got involved a factor of 50 times lower. Okay, so I got involved around a thousand bucks, 800 bucks, and now it's, what is it, 50,000, something like that. Um, this exponential growth could actually continue because I actually think it can easily go. I do actually think it can go 50 times higher and I'm not telling you with certainty it's going there, but we had this conversation already. You got to do your probabilities and Michael Saylor thinks it goes to a hundred trillion and he does it on a net, a, a net, Metcalf's Metcalfe's law, network, effect. Right. The network so effect. Look, Jason, man, you've, you've asked some really cool questions. Um, I can only tell you that I've done this for 30 years uh, and I'm, I'm not that good at it, but I'm not bad at it. I don't, when, when the facts change, I change my, uh, my strategy. Okay. I'm again, we talked about Michael, uh, uh, we talked about Peter Schiff, like that poor guy should have been carted off the trading floor 150 times. Okay. But the only thing he's done is cost his clients so much money. Cause he was 97% there, but then just said, but this thing's going to challenge my gold, uh, my gold business do, what do you think could? that's just a
3: play for them on like the the, the media like i got it's my son doing theater, it my son's no long I'll, I'll
5: take the other side it's i don't know it's all true that could be true i'll tell you the people that don't understand it is theater though that he's cost so much money for that's the people that i that's who i feel bad for because you know people with a platform doesn't necessarily mean that they have a brain right? You get a platform and you can, you can say anything you want. You could be spewing the, the worst drivel in the world. Mm. That's the problem of, of, uh, of some social media things too, right? So look, I'm not telling you I have a big brain. I'm just telling you, I play probabilities my whole life. Um, Jason Marks would tell you, um, you know, that I've never broken risk limits in my whole life that he sets. And they're rational, oh, and I want to share this story with you. So here's the quick story about Jason Marks, okay? And and for those listening still, if there's anyone listening, Jason Marks was my sc- uh, chief risk officer at TD Securities and then hired me to work at uh, GMP Investment Management with uh, Wecker Lee and Sean Cumbie and uh, some really smart guys, okay? So so uh, I'm doing this trade. Uh, I own six-month Nova Chemical Bonds trading at 60 cents on the dollar. Okay. And if you do the math, 60 cents on the dollar, the coupon was, I think it was somewhere around a 7% coupon. Uh, You do the math on that. And it's, it's, it's over a 100% yield to maturity. Okay. Because on an annualized basis, you're making 40 points on 60 points in six months, plus you get a coupon. And we know that if the, the bonds don't mature in six months, at 100 cents on the dollar we know the equities were zero right i mean that's just finance 101 so i'm able to take a over 100 yield to maturity and i'm able to go into the put options market and i'm able to buy puts at a two dollar strike price i'm able to pay 40 cents to buy these puts and the put market is pretty illiquid but it still exists and that 40 cents on two dollars is 20 percent, right that's one-fifth equals a 20%. So my cost is 20% to earn over 100%. you guys follow that math? I'm paying 20% to earn over 100%. And it's a, it's a guaranteed trade. And I'm doing it in small size. And the funny thing is, it, it, it was a cross-border trade. So the bonds traded in the U.S. and the equity traded most in Canada, but the options actually traded in the U.S., okay? So I'm, uh, I'm buying all these put options in the U.S. market off of Bloomberg, just off of their, uh, it's, it's an Algo and uh, run by a Chicago firm. But the Algo has to go out and short, Delta short, Delta hedge, the stock. So I'm buying these put options. And I hear on the boom box from uh, the, uh, the equity desk from uh, GMP, what the fuck's going on in Novocam? Where's the selling coming from in Novocam? I don't understand it. What's going on in Novocam? So I'm like, okay, I'll take my foot off the pedal a little bit. And Jason's like, Foster, what are you doing today? And I am t- I show him this trade. I said, Jason, I think I've really discovered a pretty cool trade. It's risk-free. He goes, it can't be. You know, I'm a Harvard guy. It can't be risk-free. I show him. He's a, oh my God. It's not supposed to exist. This is The textbooks tell you this does not exist. And I say, it exists. How much can I do? And he said, infinity. And that's the right answer, right? So when markets dislocate, which they do all the time, you don't put your hedges on when they're dislocated. You put your hedges on before they dislocate. And that's what I'm preaching with Bitcoin. I don't want the world to dislocate, okay? But if it does, it's too late to hedge. I think you you raise a great point, which is,
3: the best trades of your life and of my life were formed by disequilibrium where there was a structural functional reason why things could not happen so the 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 asset backed paper market there there was forced sellers and there were sellers at any price and and in this case it's a little bit different because you know being a credit guy Or global macro guy, or Jason Mark's guy, you're always kind of (laughs) negative. This is the one time in our career we kind of be
5: kind of positive. I'm trying to be, but the thing is, I'm being positive (laughs) by being negative, right? Like, I don't want this to happen. I got to be clear. you're, You're a curmudgeon. I thank you. you. I I, I am a pessimist because I'm a credit guy and that allowed me to survive.
3: But but at the same time, if you look at it through that lens, what you're saying is Bitcoin is a positive asset, right? You're you're looking at it through this lens of credit. But this is what I mean. From an optimistic perspective, this is an interesting thing that
2: you can be optimistic about. Thank you, Mike. I think that's a beautiful... Beautiful place to wrap, right? One last, quote, one
5: last quote, one last story for you. you guys will love this. And Mike, I don't think you've ever heard this one. This has actually happened. You got to be in the pits. You got to be playing the game. In asset-backed commercial paper, uh, 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 what they call a package came up for sale. And there was a line that I didn't recognize. So you had this restructured and then you had these tracking notes. Remember, Mike, the tracking notes yeah. that were specific things like Canadian real estate. Um, you, you, you generally knew what that was but I bought this one line. It was worth 1.6 million face dollars, 1.6 million face dollars. And I didn't know what it was, but it came as part of the package. And I said, oh, I guess, I, I guess on the whole package, I think I was bidding around 6 million bucks at 40 cents on the dollars, 40 cents on the dollar. I was probably bidding on something like 20 million face value of, uh, of loans. Does that math work? Yeah. It's something like that. 20 million. Um, I was, I was going to pay 6 million bucks and I th- there was this one line, I didn't know what it was. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to give you 25 bucks for that. Not 25 cents on the dollar, literally 25 bucks out of my pocket. So I bought this package and it was a busy day and they put the QCIP numbers in our system and everything and put them put the, uh, in, into our fund. And I go home that night and I say, hey, better look at what I bought here for 25 bucks. I know it's going to be worth zero. And then I look quickly and it's like Quebec immigrant loans. I'm like, what? Well, these have got to be worth more than zero. And then I read that it's guaranteed by the province of Quebec and it matures in six months. Okay, so I just bought 1.6 million bucks of Quebec risk. It matures in six months for $25. I, you know, I'm I'm an honest guy. Nice I didn't put it in, in my buyer. PA. I didn't I didn't put it <laughs> in my PA, which would have been the best trade ever in the history of the Foss uh, PA. Foss Family how Trust. how about this though? I turned twenty five dollars into one point six million dollars in less than six months, and that's what you get when you're in the markets when markets dislocate. So who's the poor seller? I don't know. I actually probably do know. It was a Canadian endowment fund. Isn't that horrible? It was a university fund. Yeah. So I was stealing
2: it's, this.
3: Disequilibrium.
5: Um, they just wanted. They had to get no, off. I, it. So
3: go ahead, Richard.
2: No, uh, I was listening to Mike's point. I was. No,
3: just this disequilibrium creates these opportunities for you know significant price appreciation, and I think likely we are you know potentially in a in a a point of disequilibrium from the standpoint of where uh, crypto markets are, or people should consider that given probabilistic thinking and um, maybe that's a disequilibrium moment for the amount of money that needs to chase assets that are, you know, very, very hard. You know, these are hard to, hard to say say it
5: again. It's time to wrap it up. You guys were always ahead of the curve. Um, you know, what you and Adam were doing and Richard, I'm not sure how you fit into this whole thing, but clearly you have a bigger brain than uh, than I do. But at the end of the day, these oh guys, were, they, well, look, these guys were always doing more work than your average uh, retail finance. And I, I don't mean to disrespect your business, Mike, The small institutional uh, advisor. Yep. You guys were doing the work and that's all I ever ask people to do is don't. Don't live by a status quo bias. Don't believe that just because some guy like Econ Guy Rosie says that Bitcoin is worth more than the value of a Honda Accord, it, it must be overpriced. Fuck Econ Guy Rosie. Don't you know the difference between unit value and market cap? Like, that's really embarrassing. As Canada's largest uh, or one of Canada's most influential economists, you've just proven you don't know math, okay? He also thinks if Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million Satoshis, therefore its supply is not limited oh my lord man you gotta stop you gotta go back to, to math 101 because you are like peter schiff you are just downright fucking stupid okay so i'm you can you can edit this out or you can send this right to his office it's going like, live bro it's what
3: (laughs) it's live we're live this is live okay okay, man that's cool hey i hope
5: this goes right to his house i'm sorry man you are really really doing a disservice to canada when you spout off about stuff you have not even peeled one layer of the onion back okay so full stop i don't want hate mail i'm trying to help the kids of the world i'm not trying to boil the oceans okay this is a solution to the fiat ponzi fiat is the ponzi Okay. Continuously debasing your currency to satisfy, uh, the print, the, 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 the budget deficits that are built up over our generations. That's the system.
3: I love it. Beautiful. And I
5: appreciate your passion and <laughs> great uh, stories. Posse, it's
3: always great to get together with you. I, I, I'm an entertainer. I, and I like you,
5: it. You know what? And, and one day we'll get Wally Zatilni on this show and you'll really laugh when, <laughs> uh, when, when Zatilni comes out. Camera's here. off. Okay. Off. okay. I love you guys. Thank you. for. <laughs>
3: yeah. Hey, the camera, when Wally's on, you have to turn the cameras off.
5: Wally's at is <laughs> a friend of mine from Montreal that played football with, uh, with Mike at uh, yeah. at the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the funniest guy I've ever met in my life. Okay? Absolutely. Art. Okay. Agreed. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
2: Thanks for coming. Thanks, hey, Greg. Thanks, <laughs> Richard. Thank for having me. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you for listening to the Gestalt University podcast. You will find all the information we highlighted in this episode in the show notes at investresolve.com Forward slash blog. You can also learn more about Resolve's approach to investing by going to our website and research blog at investresolve.com, where you will find over 200 articles that cover a wide array of important topics in the area of investing. We also encourage you to engage with the whole team on Twitter by searching the handle at investresolve and hitting the follow button. If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email, social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that our podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and see you next time.